Hey everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Pioneer Podcast. I'm Tanning Grace, and always, always, as always, yeah, I am joined by Ross Merriam. How are you doing today, buddy? I'm tired, Tannen. Yeah, just for everybody at home, I want you to know the labor of love we're putting in this week. Uh, Ross and I both have very busy weeks, and so we're doing this bright and early Wednesday morning in the fact that I had to set an alarm to make sure I woke up in time for this one. We were supposed to do this Tuesday night, but somebody had to watch a baseball game. Yeah, it's not my fault it went four and a half hours or whatever. You know, it like, did way go over a very long time. I remember, like, it started at, like, six, didn't it, my time? Yeah, it was, like, five o'clock of my time. Yeah, and so I was like, oh, it'll be done by, like, nine. We'll have time, you know, to do the podcast in the evening. And then I just, like, was, cha- I was, you know, just had the box score up, and I would periodically be checking as I was, you know, jamming on Arena. And it just went on forever and ever. And it's funny because, like, the commercials have felt faster this year. You know, it has, like, you know, normally uh, in most sports, you can tell the longer commercials happen during the playoffs, right? You know, they're, they're making more money. They're generating more revenue. And so you see more commercials. And it, it hasn't felt like that. Yeah, that's so. good. On the, on the bright side, though, the Braves were ahead by a comfortable margin for the entire game and didn't make you want to have a heart attack. Well, did you not see what happened in the ninth? <laughs> I, I did. I, I had many, many heart attacks at <laughs> yes. the 7th and 9th inning. Like, Hannon's poor aging heart. So for, for anyone who didn't see the scoreboard, like going into the 7th inning, it was 7-1. to one, And then we won the game 8-7. to seven. <laughs> Like, Thankfully, we got that like cheeky insurance run in the top of the ninth. They even said it too. They were like, oh, it's like, you know, kind of like a throwaway home run here. And then they ended up scoring four runs in the bottom of the ninth. And I was just like literally pulling my hair out. It's going to look like Ross by the end of the day and the end of the game. Yeah. But, uh. Yeah, I, sorry. I, I wanted. I ended up going back and looking at the play-by-play, and they had they had the Dodgers had put up one run in the inning, had a man on second, and two outs. So it was a yeah. it was a three-run game or a four-run lead with two outs and a man on second, and a, just the a great sequence of two-run home run, error, triple, ground out to end the game. How, how did you feel when you saw that error? That's the that's what uh, I want to see. Like, could end the game right here. And that was, was the on moment. Albies, yeah. who plays second, right? Yes. Who is who is an actual, like, gold glover. Like, the guy is unreal. Like, yeah, I think the either had the highest or second highest fielding percentage of second baseman all year last year. This year, he's been hurt almost the entire year. He didn't play a lot. But not making excuses, just saying. Um, I'm just saying, uh, second base is my position in Little League. So if they need a replacement for the rest of the season, <laughs> sure. I'll, I'm willing sure. to go in the bubble. He's the guy who hit the home run in the ninth inning, by the way. He's uh, he's hit home runs in, in both games so yeah. far. So, like, at so least he's kind of... It sounds like it balances out to a replacement level player, yeah. and you might want to get a cheaper contract in there, save the owner <laughs> some money. It's actually really funny. He has what a lot of people say is one of the worst, quote-unquote, worst contracts in baseball because of how good his contract is for Atlanta. Like, hey, why are you trying to ruin this for me, Tannen? I just want to be on a Major League Baseball team. I know, right? Well, no, the thing is, is, like, he's one of those contracts that, like, when everybody signed it, they're like, really? That That's all you gave him? Like, they gave him an extension because he's young and hasn't even gotten his first contract yet, but he's that good. So they're like, we're going to make sure that we, you know, uh, keep this kid around for extra years. Anyway, uh, you asked the right question, by the way. That is the moment. Like, so one of the other reasons that we couldn't record I, is... Uh, I watch Sports Tan, and I, I can tell yeah. which moment is going to be the most just, uh, you know, heart-wrenching. Be like, God, Agonizing, yeah. Yeah, so uh, the the plans were to watch it at my house with my with my best friend, but we switched it. Like, I went to his house last night. He's coming to my house tonight to watch the game. So I even had, like, a drive home. So I was like, and I had a drink while I was there. So I was like, man, I'm just going to be, you know, uh, let's 
you know, let's let's just move this to today or whatever. But yeah, that was the exact moment where like it started to really become real. Like it already became real. Don't get me wrong. Like someone even tweeted about it. They were like, "Oh, to be a fly in the wall at Tana Grace's house right now, or whatever," because <laughs> like they know what's going on. And I just was like venting through Twitter by posting gifts. You know, like uh, I think I posted the gif of uh, what was her name? It was like Cipher or whatever in the Matrix, where she's like, "Not like this, not like this," you know. And stuff and I, I I don't want to be a fly in the wall. I don't want any visual. I just want to have like a, a bug so I could hear what's going on. I, I it was just very quiet. It's just very quiet. Um, <laughs> you've watched sports of me before. Like I get very retrospective or um, it was weird. I actually sat down during the game a lot last night. Normally during big games, like like last year's national title game for, for LSU when we won. I don't think I sat down much in that game. Like, I, I get kind of nervous energy. I pace a little bit, you know, like, stuff, whatever. Um, it's been fun this postseason. Um, I think you've seen – have you seen Cedric's tweets? He's been sports betting a lot, and he's been tweeting about it every day. Well, I think uh, Patrick Sullivan has been as well, um, or just, like, kind of participating. But Patrick knows I'm a big Braves fan, so uh, Patrick's been texting me a lot during uh, during this and, and whatever. And it's been a fun little outlet, but, like, he could tell that I'm slowly losing it over this because this is the closest we've been to the world series since the late nineties. Um, this was our first, you know, we won our first playoff series since 2001. Jesus, and if it we, been that long. Yeah. We hadn't won a playoff series since 2001 and we've been to the playoffs a lot since then. Um, wow. uh, yeah. The, the other That's things, a if, lot if of we, so we're now up two games on the Dodgers. We're up two games to none in a best of seven series. Uh, the Dodgers are by far the best team in the major leagues. Yeah. Like overall. It's a like short season, in- but they won at 116 game pace, which I believe would not be the National League record, but would tie the AL record. I'm trying to no, the, the American League holds a record as the Seattle Mariners in like 2003 or so. It was like each row's like first year or whatever. Mariners. Yeah, yeah. It was like each row's like first Topping year. Topping the 98 Yankees who had 114. Yeah, yeah 114. Just yeah, ridiculous whatever. to happen in a three year Just in a. And they're just an absurd team, right? Like their lineup is absurd, and like it was, it was funny. We were joking about it because a player was in the lineup last night that wasn't in the lineup the night before. We're like, oh yeah, they have that guy too. You know, you just keep forgetting how like stacked their whole lineup is, how good their pitching staff is, how good their bullpen is. They're just the best, most complete team. Anyone who tell who tries to argue you differently, they're just wrong. Okay, it's like someone like trying to argue that someone the best player in the NBA right now is not LeBron James. You know what I mean? You're like, look, I get it. You have this opinion. It's great. It's fine. It, <laughs> You're, you're just wrong. You know, like, they are the best team. I knew that if we were to make the World Series here, we had to go through them. And it's been nice, too. Like, uh, I think you can get what I'm about to say here in the fact that when I'm watching them play this year in the playoffs and I'm watching them play against the Dodgers, because they've, they've beaten us in the playoffs very recently, too, and they just dismantled us. You know what I mean? Like, you could see how much better of a team they were, right? Um, watching it this year, it just feels different. Right? Yeah. Like, you, you know what I'm talking about? Like, you, you, they expect to win instead of, like, they're just happy to be there. Kind of thing. Yeah, they're just a, a, a team that, you know, it's a, the kind of team that wins a game very easily, you know, usually against a pretty good team and just kind of shrugs it off like business as usual. They're like, yeah, of course we did that. Yeah, yeah. kind of thing. Um, So I'm pretty excited uh, overall. Like, I'm trying... I'm trying to be hopefully optimistic, you know, like I'm trying not, I've been hurt before Ross, you know what I mean? And I'm going to be hurt again. So I'm trying not to get too optimistic being up 2-0 because like you could still easily, like they could easily just win the next four games. Like they're that good, right? Our team has a, a glaring weakness that's about to be exposed the next few games. So I don't expect us to do well over the next two or three games. Uh, I, I'd be happy to win one of the next three, 
and be up three two going into into game six. Um, you know, we've had a lot of injuries this year and starting to catch up with us even more now. So uh, lots of fun stuff to talk uh, talk about with that. We're not going to keep talking about it on the show. This is not a sports broadcast. Um, also, I just mentioned this is we, we called ourselves the Pioneer Podcast. We're, we're still that. Uh, we haven't officially, yeah, we haven't officially changed the name yet. We uh, we're still working on that. It's a, it's, a, it's a work in progress for everybody at home. So uh, I'm going to call this. Uh, it's a working title. It's a working title for yeah. for, for Pioneer Podcast or still that. So I've been looking at highest win totals in mm-hmm. Major League Baseball teams. And there mm. is an NL team that had 116 wins, and they did it in 10 fewer games. Yeah, they did it when it was 154 games. 152. Or whatever, yeah. So 1906 Chicago Cubs. Wait, they played 152 games then? Yeah. When did they go to 154? Um, don't look uh, it up. I don't care. Yeah, a little bit care. later. There's an Indians yeah. team that had 111 wins. 54 Indians won 111 games when it was 154. Which is also a higher win rate than the 01 Mariners. Yeah. It's one of those things. It's like you have to compare times and effort. It's like. It's a little, di- you know, uh, things are I, different. I, I thought there was an NL team that had more wins than the Mariners, but it's an NL team with the same number of wins in 10 fewer games. So that's the highest win percentage in Wait, Major League Baseball. that was history. an NL team at the time? The, I I believe the Cubs have always been an NL team. Oh, I thought you said, you said the Indians, I'm pretty sure. The Indians I, was the one that had 111 wins in 1954. Oh, I apologize. Yeah, so the, the 116 and 36 was the 06 Chicago Cubs, who ended up losing the World Series, by the way, to the White Sox. Yeah, well, are you surprised? High, highest, win, highest win rate in, in Major League Baseball history lost the World Series to their hometown rival. Yeah, uh, Just I was going to say the Cubs. Yeah, the, I think the Mariners got bounced in the first round. When they won all those games, by the way. Oh yeah, they so, lost to the Yankees, who ended up losing the yeah. World Series that year to Luis Gonzalez and the Diamondbacks. I was gonna say what year? I was gonna say I knew this, but uh, I remember that watching blue, that. Yeah, still I watched the, that live. The blue fly ball by Gonzalez. Well, they had to bring the, they had to bring the infield in and immediately got punished. Oh yeah, because yeah. yeah, that because that ball was the oh, look. We've we've talked on the show about Derek Jeter's defensive shortcomings and how he's like one of the worst good defense. He's probably the worst good defensive shortstop in the history of the game. Oh yeah, or whatever. He would have caught that ball at at normal. Yeah, it was at normal like play six date. feet into the into the outfield. I would have caught barely it. there. Yeah. yeah, I could. Yeah, I could yeah. have caught that ball. <laughs> yeah, I would have caught this ball very easily. Right. Uh, I let's let's be real. I probably would have thought I would trip over my own feet, but <laughs> just adrenaline pumping. Like, oh, can't fuck this up. Yeah, we're gonna win the world. Oh God! <laughs> <laughs> just you know, I can just see myself on the ground, like the look on my face or whatever. So just uh, ten thousand fans pelting you with empty beer cans. Ten thousand? Where are we? A college baseball stadium? There's like sixty thousand people there. Yeah, but how many of them are gonna start throwing stuff at you? It's a minority. Yeah, true, 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 true. That's see, true. Yeah. I already did the math. Okay, okay, I forgot you applied math. To <laughs> uh, I will say, have you been up to anything fun over the last week? Uh, I know we're, I know our lives are a little different now. We're kind of sequestered into our homes a little more. I but. actually had a sort of mini vacation over the weekend. Oh, you sorts. didn't tell me about this. Let me, let me, let me hear about this. So I, uh, Corey and his fiance Tori, or as I call them, the Ories. By the way, if they randomly are listening to this, I don't think they are. But congratulations on was it six years? They just yeah. had their anniversary. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that was yesterday, and I got this spiel from Corey that neither of them ever remembers it, and it's just a race to see who accidentally sees it on Facebook. The reminder first. That's that is <laughs> that is actually that's them and their relationship. Like, yeah. I love it. That is them. <laughs> that is oh, I love it. And uh, they they had been out of town for the weekend. And so I was uh, dog sitting for them. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's right. I remember. Okay, you told me they were dog sitting, but you didn't tell me why. Okay. So right. uh, I was there from midday Friday to Monday evening, 
right? Taking care of the dog and watching coverage. It's why I did not stream over the weekend. I had plans to do so. Corey kind of set me up to do it on, on his rig. And I just didn't feel that comfortable doing it, leaving the dog downstairs. And I know Corey does it, but, you know, everything was new to me. I accidentally locked them out of their downstairs bathroom, okay? They're going to have to call a landlord. I, I managed to lock it from the inside and then close the door while I was walking out. Well, yeah. It's not one of those locks that has, like, the little thing on the outside where you can put the... Or did they not They tried that. that. Oh, they didn't. It didn't okay. work. Look, so, I, I know that it can happen. I don't think... Yeah, apparently this one is a little more complicated than that. I, I know nothing if it, about If it's any complicated at all, it's too complicated for me. Yeah, okay. exactly. So I was, you know, I got to hang out all weekend with Henry in in their house. I need to meet Henry. Henry is adorable and about 20% rat bastard. Okay. So a good he, dog. He explores the world with his mouth. So he does a lot yeah, of light that's, biting. That's Okay. The light biting thing, you know, to obviously nip in the bud, but that's just a dog thing. They, the, yeah. Everything is it's also done through their mouth. Thing. Yeah. It's just more yeah, he's, he's small, right? Well, not small. He's, he's probably dog, like right? six months at this yeah, point. Yeah, I was going to say, they just got him. Yeah. Right? Yeah. They got him in July, I think. So. Yeah. Uh, he's already 20 times the size of my dog. Yeah. He's, <laughs> he is a, a growing puppy. So I just spent my weekend playing with him and, you know, throwing toys around the house and making How much did you food. snuggle? Mm-hmm. Oh, he slept in the bed with me. Oh, yeah, of course oh, he yeah. did. Uh, and, uh, you know, had had uh, their, their kitchen is significantly larger than mine, so it was a lot more convenient to do cooking. It was great. I made a large tray. One, the first thing I made, and I shared both of these in the food channel on our Discord, by the way, was... A Tuscan spiced uh, tomato based stew with that one looks amazing. It by was the way. really good with kale, chickpeas, couscous, and carrots. I love all those words. Yeah, it was. Uh, it was. It was so good. Also, love a good kale in a uh, in a soup. I made a giant pot of it on Friday and ate it basically straight through till Sunday, except for breakfast, where I would make various egg dishes, and then. On Sunday, I made a 13 by 9 pan of eggplant parmesan. Yeah, that one also looked really good. And the couple guys came over to watch the game. And uh, uh, they had some of it. And then Corey had some of it on Monday when he landed. And Mm -hmm. I think think they're finishing it off. I think they finished off last night as a, a romantic dinner. So, nice. So you got to leave them a little, a little, a little gift as well. Oh yeah, I made a salad with it. They were they were well set up. I did not leave them any wine. Oh, I'll of course that. not. Uh, did you see? I was gonna say I was looking through the food section to re-see the the photos. One of the the last photo that's in there just gets me every time. It's a it's from Leo the Modern. It's an English muffin top of corned beef hash, top of the fried egg, top of hollandaise sauce and parsley. Corned beef hash is one of the things I miss more than anything. It's so yeah, good. I, I love a good Benedict, too. Oh, and yeah. Same. Hollandaise sauce. What What is not to like about hollandaise sauce? It's just only delicious things, like buttered egg yolks and lemon and a little spice. And it's just so delicious. Yeah. I mean, it's real good. I was going to say, um, I, just say I, I didn't do much different over the last week than what I normally do, but I did... Um, finish a tv show that i've been watching uh like fully caught up on the boys i'm sure you've heard of it i have heard what is it about okay so it's based on a graphic novel like most good things are nowadays it's about uh these regular people who are trying to take down superheroes so in this world there are superheroes kind of like you know any kind of comic book type thing except for the superheroes are not like this 
pure, untouchable, idealistic thing, right? Like, they're seen as heroes to the general public, but they're horrible people. Like, they're normal people. Like, the, the main dude's name is Homelander. And so it's about a group of them. They're very much like the Justice League, right? Like, Homelander is literally Superman. He can, like, fly. He shoots lasers from his eyes. He's super fast. He's super strong, right? They have a dude who's just like the Flash, right? Like, they have a bunch of people that are, like, they have a they have a Wonder Woman on their team, right? Uh, like, the Flash has a, in the, sh- in the show, I've never, I've never read the graphic novel, but in the, in the show, the Flash has a drug problem, right? Uh, Wonder Woman has, like, severe anxiety and like it looks like she's struggling with her personality and some other stuff like she's starting to realize they're the baddies and stuff uh homelander the main guy who's superman he's literally a psychopath because you don't get all of his backstory you get like little tidbits of it but you kind of realize that i don't think he had actual parents i think he was made out of a bottle pretty much and like wasn't raised with parents he was raised with like science and shit so he's like legit crazy right and like he's just like a murderer and like does all this deviant sex stuff and like he's just a crazy crazy person right and he thinks he can just do whatever he wants and so the show is just that like it like the the first episode which I, it's like the main character one of the main character he him and his girlfriend are sharing a romantic moment on the side of the road and he's like holding her right and he's kissing her and he has like his arms out and the character who is the flash accidentally runs through her because he's like going to do something and he's you know going too fast to be bothered and he just explodes her like he's just left there holding the disembodied hands of his of his girlfriend. So it's and so it like radicalizes. This him is like him a, the, a Randy Johnson and the Bird situation. Yes, yes, yeah. A, a very fast object beats a non-moving object. Usually yeah. not good for the non-moving object. Yeah, right. Yeah, it didn't go well for the bird. And so uh, the show is just about these people getting back at the super. Like they they all have a problem with the superheroes. Like a personal one besides like the the overall arcing. Like they're just bad in general. You know, um, you know, each season has its own thing, right? But like they're they're trying to get back at these guys, and it's like normal people trying to defeat Superman and stuff. You know, sure. like so, and it's the show is fucking bonkers. I think is the other way to put it. It's like there's something that happens in every episode that you're just like, oh god, right? Like some utterly ridiculous thing. It's very over the top, but the show is just good. It's very entertaining. Uh, I've liked it. It's well received on social media. I'm sure you've seen people talk about it or mention it that they like it a lot. I, I don't think you would enjoy the show, personally. Well, everything you've told me about it is everything I don't like in current TV shows. Yeah. I mean, I'm I mean, sick of I mean, anti-heroes. I'm sick of having to watch shows about terrible people, but they're special in some way or superhuman in some way. And that, like, gives the, sort of gives them uh, a cover for being, you know, just horrible people. I'm well, I think it's the other way around I'm in this one. It's like it's it. like showing you that like it does corrupt you, right? Like it's like I would love to see backstories of some of these people that like you know the thing is is like they're they were born this way or they were given their powers when they were young. So they didn't, like I would love to have seen them when they were like not as bad. You know, you see them descent into the into the depravity that they be, you know, the like depraved a, person like that they become. High kind of kind of thing. Yeah, yeah. It's like um, it's funny because I'm actually uh so. I do. I work on my computer a lot, right? Like for work, and like I do a lot of you know online poker, and I usually have a, a TV show up on the other screen when I'm doing it. I'm just kind of like, burnt, you know, something I've already watched, but I'm like rewatching, and I'm rewatching Smallville. And I got to say this: uh, show does not hold up super well, right? The show is not very good. It's definitely better for a younger audience, 
but it is cool to see the the character arcs of people right like you go like you see lex luther turn from like this guy who wants to be good into like you watch him just lose it right and, and become the the villain that he is and stuff and you see them kind of like go down that line and that's pretty cool and so like that like i like character development anything like i you know i read a lot but and stuff and, like, if that's you like know where it's going is does that ruin it at all i don't know I kind of like I I often like watching a show and not even tr- like not even trying to speculate in my head about where it's going. I just like to be along for the ride. Well, the answer is yes and no for me because like the journey is like probably the most important part, like how they get there, you know, like how they tell the story. But I will say this: that's a cliche. It's a cliche, but it's true. Like it's a cliche because it's true or whatever. Like um, I gotta say I I've I've enjoyed this one quite a bit. Or I, this one's okay because, like, yes, you do know where the end result is, but you still see how it gets there, right? Like, how it gets there. Because how many times in a show, like, especially, like, one of the ones you and I talk about all the time that we've liked, like, How I Met Your Mother, you see character development happen, and you're like, I don't know if that would have happened, or I don't like what they did with this character, or you get kind of disappointed. And in this one, it's like, they almost can't disappoint you unless they just do, like, some really dumb thing, Right. Yeah, you know, like something nonsensical. Like they'd have, yeah, something completely like just really wrong or out of left field, or you'd be like, "Wait, what? That that? You know, like, you know." And then you see that, like, one of my favorite things is like they don't hold back in the fact that they don't make Lex evil for the sake of evil. They don't just make him an evil person. Like he is actually like good in a lot of ways. Like obviously he has evil tendencies and, and the the propensity to be evil. But like, if you read between the lines, and like I definitely saw it more this time than the first time through. It's like you see Superman made him who he is, right? You see Clark Kent, like, constantly pushing him away, not, tell, like, not trusting him. Like, that's what drove him, like, that's what drove him to this because he has this overarching need to know everything, so, to, to so control everything. So this is everything. using established superheroes. This isn't just, you know, a new universe with various superheroes that are unique to the show. Well, you're talking about Smallville? Or the, oh, no, the you're boys. talking about Smallville. Okay. Yeah, I told you. I, I, I was like, sw- I, it, it's funny okay. to see the other end of the spectrum where it's like what you were talking about. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, no, that that makes a lot of sense. That's actually kind of what I like a lot about Cobra Kai, where every, like, there's no, they're, they're taking in an established um, IP where there was a very clear hero and villain, right? Yeah. And it, you knew who to root for, who not to exactly. root for. Exactly. And yeah. it, it, the entire premise of Cobra Kai is that there is no heroes and no villains. Real quick, I was going to say, we did just mention How I Met Your Mother. We'd be remiss if we didn't talk about how Barney saw the show, that he saw that uh, the, the kid from Cobra Kai was the hero. Yeah. Played by and Billy he's Zabka. Like, yeah. And he's like, wait a minute, that's who you root for? He's like, yeah, he is the karate kid. Yeah. <laughs> he's like, <laughs> I root for the scrawny kid from New Jersey who doesn't even know karate. No. Yeah. And he's like, he's like, when you watch Terminator, do you root for the machines? <laughs> he's, his you know, name like, is in the title. Yeah. <laughs> who didn't shed a tear? When his little eye went, went dead and he didn't get to kill those people. Yeah. <laughs> who, oh, do you, God. who do you root for in Die Hard? Hans Gruber. <laughs> the only guy in his suit. At the end, he dies hard. Yeah. <laughs> the movie's about him. <laughs> He's the title character. Yeah. Oh, God. Um, um, but the, there was, well, it also, Cobra Kai sort of started out of a, like a viral fan made YouTube video that yeah. made the claim that Johnny Lawrence, it, you know, is the hero and it. Uh, do you ever go down the rabbit hole with those? I do all the time, where the people I, do their I, I fan that theories. One years before, you know, probably like, five. Have years you seen ago. the Have you seen the Jar Jar Binks as a Sith Lord? I one? have seen that. Yeah, 
and that one that one's great to think about that like he actually was just manipulating everything from behind the curtain you know and stuff like that like it would it would make the character more what's the right word i'm looking for here just palatable maybe yeah and that was the entire idea is that like they there was like this character was going to supposed to be a bumbling idiot so that you know like it would be a big reveal that they were a sith lord but they were just so hated that like george lucas scrapped the idea but that's just not true I mean, there is there is something to be said. Uh, apparently, he did scrap some ideas for the character. They, they, they were supposed to be more, and then it was so unwell received that they were like, "Yeah, we're just gonna." Even in the original trilogy, like initially, like the Ewoks and the and the droids weren't that well received. Like all the comic mm. relief characters in Star Wars are not well received by the diehard neckbeards. Yeah, I was gonna say, growing up, my favorite was Return of Jedi. Like when I was a kid, I was like, I Same. just want to see the the I want to see the the Ewoks, right? I want to yeah. see the walking teddy bears fight off the evil villains. Also, you know, like, the scene at the Sarlacc where uh, you know they fucking kill Jabba, and there's like like they're fucking uh, jumping across ships. That was that was a great. Yeah. Speaking of that, I was gonna say at the end of the month we get some a big new chapter in Star Wars history. We get the Mandalorian season two. Very excited for that. Um, I don't know. I think they're gonna rev- do it week by week, like they've been doing for most things, which is like pisses me off, but also is nice because I don't just stay up all night one night watching all of it, and the next day I just don't have anything to watch anymore. So, we'll have to see if that's going on. Uh, do you want to talk about magic at all today, hold, or do you want to? I yeah, have two things. Oh god. Yeah, go ahead. One is I could not fucking remember for the life of me the name of Ralph Macho's character in Karate Kid, and I had to look it up. It's Daniel LaRusso. Yeah, I, I I, couldn't. I've seen the... In fact, I just watched the first episode of Cobra Kai the other day. It looks amazing. I'm yeah. going to have to wait till I can like really digest the show. The, you know the first mean? episode is is Johnny Lawrence, right? And then the, the second episode go, gives you Daniel's side of like uh, the things. Yeah, it's, 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 it's showing him and his life. Yeah, yeah. He, runs into, he runs into him at the yeah, end. Yeah, ep- episode two is the same episode, but with, Daniel LaRusso. Yeah. It's great. Cool. Yeah, those first two episodes hooked me on the show. It's so good. The first season is better than the second season. That's pretty much true on almost everything. Yeah. So you know, the second season dives a little too far into the teen drama aspects of things. Um, say, don't tell me too much, please. Yeah. But <laughs> uh, but the 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 show's still great. I'm really I I have one more thing to rant on TV wise because you got you know you finished the boys and you were talking about how great your TV life is and over the weekend I got to find out that Glow was canceled. Which is another yeah. They show. are not going to finish it. Uh, there is a there there is a small bit of hope. They're pushing to make get a movie. movie yeah, I I heard that. But that show is awesome. Yeah, I've I've heard good things. I'll probably get around to it eventually. You know, to watching it. But they've done three seasons, I think. Yeah, it's three or four. I think they're not getting the fourth season. Yeah, but they're is. not. Yeah. They're not super long. I think they're only ten or twelve episodes. Um, yeah, there's going to be some casualties of television and movies that would have happened except for COVID. Like, yeah, like yeah, we sense. had to we had to backtrack. We just don't have the money for this anymore, or whatever. Or the times have changed, kind of thing. Yeah. Um, one of the one of the shows that I watch, they had to actually not air their last like two episodes. Like their season finale was going to be like a two parter, and because it's a it's a medical drama that I watch, and it was about a pandemic happening, they were like, we just feel that it's probably not cool to air <laughs> these episodes now. So what they did was they had like the actors do a thing, and like they talked about stuff, and they showed the scenes that were like cutaways of what was going on because they introduced like a new character and a new storyline to kind of move into the next yeah. season, you know, setting up, and they're like, we'll give you that. And they, they, they were straight up about it. They were like, look, you know, like they, they told everybody. They didn't, you know, mince words about it. So I thought it was pretty cool to like not treat us like children, you know, and like show us what was going on at least a little bit. So that's kind of cool or whatever. But uh, I will say we, we're reaching uh, 
record territory on the non-magic talk on the show. We're almost at 30 minutes here. You just here. reminded me of something else. Like, Go for it. It was the, you know, the, the episode of The Simpsons where they go to New York City and Homer's got to deal with the, the boot on his car. That one, I don't remember. Okay. I've, I've probably only seen a, a few seasons total. You know what I mean? Not like, yeah. Well, he he has to wait all day by the boot for the uh, the parking officer, Steve Grabowski, which I know, of course. Um, and of course. he's literally like at World you? Trade Center Plaza, mm-hmm. right? And uh, they do a great, they actually do a great bit where uh, they, there's a, it just looks like a normal, they make it out to be a normal apartment building. Mm-hmm. This is like a, that there's laundry hanging between the two buildings on a line. Yeah. And the guy is like lo- looking down. De- they're like yelling. Two guys are yelling across the, the gap between their windows. And they look down at home. It's like, yeah, they stick all the jerks at tower B. Uh, it just gets me every time, but they pulled that episode from syndication following the September 11th attacks, uh, because of how prominent the world trade centers are in the episode. But yeah, there's, there's a lot of movies where they've literally cut scenes because of it and stuff. Yeah. yeah. It's unfortunate because that episode is great. Yeah. Lots of cool stuff. All right. So um, we have a pretty big discussion uh, for this week's episode because uh, I, I feel like this kind of isn't our wheelhouse because we had this we had this discussion every week for a while, you know, because Monday, uh, I don't know if you've heard, but they were bands and there were a lot of them. And I got to say this, Ross, I'm super happy for one of them in particular because it's something everybody wanted. We've been talking about for weeks. Watsy finally heard our cries, right? And they listened and they banned Omnath, Locus of Creation and Brawl. <laughs> oh, tannin. it needed it needed to go, Ross. <laughs> oh, tannin, tannin. It's all the look. It's all this. It's all the. I have it in front of me. I have the announcement in front of me. It's on there. We can at least talk about that. All right, fine. Maybe that's not the one everybody was talking about, but that happened. Um, historic got shaken up a little bit, and when you look at this, I keep forgetting that historic has its own way of doing things because it looks like this is a huge shakeup from historic it's like no they just finally actually banned two of the cards that were suspended uh teferi and wilderness circulation are gone they're just actually banned officially gone burning yeah, they, comes back right i was say i was gonna say you kind of screwed the pooch a little bit there but whatever they they suspended omnath in this format as well which i gotta believe it's gonna be totally gone whenever i don't know what the the timeline i need to figure out the timeline for I think this it's three weeks but, yeah, but the big one, um, really cool here, and people have been calling for this one quite a while, is Burning Tree Emissary is unsuspended. And I think this is actually pretty cool for that format, and I'm a big fan, because one of the only decks that I've really put through the paces of the format was Gruul when that card was legal, and that's what made the deck good. Like, the deck was good anyway, but, like, your Burning Tree Emissary draws were, like, very good, right? It helps make Impercleave a lot better. You get these, like, really, really aggressive draws of multiple things going on. You, you get to cheat on mana in a fair creature deck. The, the, the idea that you get to turn three your Embercleave on a two-drop still, pretty yeah. nice. Yeah, and so, like, it just leads to some... It gives the deck the explosiveness it needs to keep up with, like, some of the de- degenerate stuff that was going on, which kind of makes me wonder, you know, so you unsuspend this when you get rid of the three more degenerate things that are going on, you know, three of the well, degenerate it, things. It's about the format, where so. they want to put their degeneracy, right? They'd rather, yeah. they want to have it in some aggro decks as opposed to these combo-esque decks. And I'm okay with that. Yeah, if you're going to no, have something be a little bit higher of a power level, I want it to be something that also gets hit by Doomblade. You know what I mean? It's like to make the old adage, oh, dies the Doomblade. Because I think it's a little bit more easy to interact with two twos carrying a weapon than someone untapping all their lands multiple times in a turn, or you don't get to you don't get to cast spells during my or even turn. Resolving a six mana spell and having it end the game. Yeah, 
you know, just things like that. You're talking about Muxus. Yeah. I'm, I'm assuming, yeah. Casting yeah. Nissa with Pact of Negation up. By the way, when they showed the spoiler of all the cards are coming up for First Historic, and then I saw Pact of Negation, I was just like, what the fuck? Historic looks I saw like that a one. sweet format that just has like seven cards in it that absolutely should not be there. That are just heinous? Yeah. yeah like, and those, and unfortunately, like the reality is those are the cards that dominate the format. So the entire yeah, format course. is defined by them. So it just ruins the rest of it. Like the fact that that card hasn't been talked about yet, and there is some discourse. People are like, "Can we just get rid of Pactification, punt it right into the sun?" It's like anytime you have a deck that's doing something degenerate that will win in like one turn or do something super powerful that wins the game, you just immediately put Pactification in that deck, and the deck just becomes very hard to deal with. Right? You cannot beat it on certain axes. Yeah, it, it just has draws where anymore. you're like, "Yeah, nothing I could have done." In my entire deck, I could, I could have stacked my deck, and I could not have won this game. And that's just not fun, right? Yeah. But yeah, that feeling of helplessness is not fun. It's why people like midrange decks, because they're the least helpless-feeling decks in all of Magic. Yeah, you, you can play every role in every situation. Yeah. yeah it's, it's pretty great. Um, I gotta say this. I am not super-versed in Historic. This is something I'm going to change in the future. Right? Like, I'm uh, I going am to be also more not super-well-versed in Historic, and it is not something I intend to change in the future. Uh, it is something for me that I, I will change because I'm going to fuck about this format and I don't want to give a fuck about this format and I'm going to be really mad as soon as there's something that makes me give a flying fuck about this format. Well, I mean, I, I will say this. We, we, we plan to talk about this in the show. We can kind of circle back to some more of this and, and talk about that. There's no reason for you to be super invested in this format, right? Because there's nothing for you to plan because you're not in Rivals or yeah, But if I like, wanted to try to be in those things, which how, you know, how presumably... Would you, how would you do that, though, Ross? I Nobody knows. Yeah, okay. Can we, like, ab- abandon this? Like, it's not that hard to figure it out. Now, I'm not saying I that I know every detail going. of it, but if I wanted to know every detail of it, I would. Like, here's, this, here's the thing. I kind of was tongue-in-cheek saying that because I knew this would get you going. Everybody says, like, it's so complicated. Like, come on. Just fucking try. Do you know what the tiebreaker rules for the NFL are to figure out who makes the playoffs when they have the same record? Yeah, division record, points against. No, it's di- uh, one, it's different. There's two different sets of rules. If you're two division teams that are tied versus two non-division teams that are tied. And do you know all of them? Because there's like eight different levels and it ends at coin toss. Well, Ross, here's here's one thing I have to ask you. Can I play in the NFL? Mm, not with that attitude. Am I, if, okay, good point. Am I, I, am, am I going to play in the strength, NFL? strength, maybe you could be a kicker. Look, Ross, I like my brains the way non-scrambled. That's the way why you'd be a kicker. Look, Ross, you can I'm not take, playing the You NFL can take season. four tackles a year. Ross, I also haven't devoted a large significant time of my life playing football. I have, however, played a lot of Magic and tried to play competitive Magic. Yeah. And here's the thing. I obviously I'm very tongue in cheek saying it. It's it's the it's the fun rhetoric to have from Twitter right now and stuff. Right now, like who even knows? Because the, pr- the, the problem isn't that it's too hard for them to for people to figure out the system. The problem is that they are, they're not incentivized to figure it out because they know that they're not going to get into the upper echelons of it. And and to be fair, uh, that is fair from them because like the thing is like but at least identify the problem correctly. No, I'm I'm not saying you're wrong. I'm just saying like not wrong. I'm never wrong. Never been wrong in my entire life, Tannen. That come on now. <laughs> I'm batting a thousand. Uh, oh sure. Yeah, all right. <laughs> um, <laughs> anyway, you made me like completely lose my train of thought, <laughs> which is really good because I was probably gonna say something stupid. But I mean, the problem that I have with it is like it just seems so unobtainable now, right? Like in the past, you had like you know uh, was it play the game, see the world, and like yeah, you could spike a PTQ. And we talked about like the the futility of like yeah, you spiked a PTQ. You didn't do exceptionally well at your first pro tour. Now you're just back in the ranks and have to do it all over or again, right? Or you're Josh Cho and you spiked your first pro tour and top forward and then didn't yeah. do well at your next pro tour and suddenly you're off the train because you did it at the last pro tour of the season and State knives. you only yeah. got the one. Yeah, you only got the one invite 
and you couldn't chain them together. You know, so it's not like, like, one, this idea that the OP system is, like, uniquely broken now is wrong, because the previous OP system had many issues that people complained about, right? And not even just issues relating to, uh, you know, people at the top, like people at the top not being able to make a real living off the game, even though they're marketed in a way that makes you think they are, which was, I think, the major goal of the reforms that were made to the OP system, right? Uh, was to make the dream of professional magic a reality, whereas the old system didn't really do that effectively. Now we're saying that this system doesn't give people, you know, enough of an opportunity to make it into those upper echelons. And, uh, but the old system also ha had some barriers, right? And, uh, um, so it's not like the old system was perfect in that regard. Then we've got the, the, the elephant in the room that people have failed to address. And that is that these two goals, creating a, the, a real dream at professional magic for a certain group of people at the top and creating a system that is has you know uh an easy path into that upper echelon are at odds with each other yeah you can't do both because if wizards is going to give people like a certain class of people a, a significant amount of money they need to you know be able to market them over more than a year and they need less turnover and that's actually one of the issues now is that I think there's too much turnover right now in the MPL. People complained initially and saying there wasn't enough, and now there, there's too much. You know, eventually they'll find a reasonable sweet spot, right? Um, and that, I mean, that's will they? Yeah, you know, I, I, hopefully. But that, that spot needs to be found. And I, but I think it's actually worse for them to miss uh, where they've missed it now and have it be too uh, fungible, and better for them to you know make it a little bit uh, um, more secure for the people in the MPL. But this idea that you can create a system that makes it pretty easy for you to achieve, uh, you know, uh, the the highest level and get into rivals in the MPL, but also makes it uh, uh, exclusive enough where they can offer a significant contract to those people. Like, you just can't do both of those things. And the, the problem that we had with the old OP system was that it was designed during an era in which magic was a much more niche game, designed in the mid-90s. We basically had the same system for 20 years. Like that doesn't make any sense. And there were issues with it. We had GPs that eventually outgrew what they were supposed to initially be and became something else. They evolved from large magic tournaments and sort of the second tier of magic tournaments in the OP system to magic conventions. And that's because, you know, the, that's where the money was and the, the organizers realized the money was inside events and all the extra shit. And the tournament wasn't really, you know, wasn't really doing it for them. And so it became a, a, uh, a an offering that was nominally there to cater to competitive players, but in reality catered to casual players and, you know, really didn't completely cater to either of them. And that's why GPs and everybody complained about having to grind GPs to like play to get pro points. That was the only reason they were doing it. Now I'm sure they would love them because of COVID, but that's beside the point. So really like all I see that has happened over the last four years is we've gone from a system with a certain set of strengths and weaknesses to another system with a certain set of strengths and weaknesses. Right. And the entire time everyone has complained about the different weaknesses. <laughs> But the problem is now they've got, they've become myopic and they're completely ignoring the weaknesses that existed in the old OP system. When the and the reality is that like you know the people that are complaining are the people that have been left in the lurch, 
who are, you know, it's everybody who's, you know, number 50 and up to 100 in the world that's not in Rivals or MPL, but would be, like, gold or potentially at platinum, you know, uh, after a good year, you know, and is missing out on that, right? Yeah, and, like, I understand your argument, and I I definitely agree with you that, you know, we always focus on the negatives, you know, we haven't focused on a lot on the positives or the good things that have come out of it. But also, I will say this, the, the people that it affects, right, and the people that want to see something different, and they just want better for magic, obviously, they're going to complain, they're going to be vocal about it. And that's okay. Like, it, it's okay for people to want something better out of the thing they've made yeah. the focal point of their but life. But I'm saying, like, they're, everything they're doing is short sighted. And all their complaints are all short sighted, because they never note the other side. And that, that makes it seem like we went from an OP system that was, you know, n- nearly perfect to yeah. an OP system okay. that is riddled with problems. And that's just not what happened. We just no, went with a, from a system that prioritized certain things to a system that prioritized other things. And I actually think it's generally better to prioritize the people at the very top and actually let them make a real living off of the game. Because there's plenty of other now revenue streams for other players you can start streaming you could do content you can do all of these other things to supplement your tournament income which is what things that people were doing under the old op system you know and that's something that you should be looking into and doing if you are one of those players who is you know potentially a rivals or mpl caliber player who is trying to work their way into that and become that but you aren't there you know just yet it's like you know guys in the fucking d league or the, the g league in the nba who, you know, have to take on an off-season job. Like that, the guy, Andre Ingram, who got that little run with the Lakers, and there was a great feel-good story because he made, like, six threes in his first game. He's the career leader in threes in, in the D-League. He had many offers to go overseas and make more money, but he wanted to stay in the States. He had a family, and he was, like, a, a physics and math tutor in, in the off-season. He was a really smart guy. And, like, they they'd made the, he was in the D-League for, like, 10 years. He got called up at 31. He played, like, Two games of the Lakers and like two games the next year uh, calls up at the end of the season and it was basically done. But it was great. It was a great story. But like that's the reality that that like you know the, people have to be faced with. Like and I, it's a reality that I don't think we realize exists in all these other competitive endeavors. Like you th- you look at professional sports and you see how much money the five hundred or so people who are in the NBA are making, and it's a lot. But there's a whole ton of other people that are making a lot less money playing in the D-League or other, like the big three league now and different overseas leagues and things like that. And that's the vast majority of, of professional basketball players. They're making a hell of a lot less money than the people at the very top. The same is true of professional tennis players. Like the top, like 30 to 50 people in the world are making good money. And people beyond that, you know, with all the traveling they have to do and the expenses for, you know, coaches and, uh, you know, other, you know, nutritionists and all the other stuff to actually be able to compete at a really high level with the people that are making real money. Like they, they don't make a ton of money and they have to play a lot of tournaments to, you know, they usually play like 20, 25 tournaments a year, whereas the best guys play 10 or 15. So that's the point that we, that we're at right now in magic. We have, we have so, we have, we're a big enough game now that it needs to be stratified because we have people who are at significantly different levels and we had, you know, tournaments like GPs when they got too big where you had, you know, LSV playing against somebody who just showed up to get the promo play mat. And it was like, yeah, maybe I'll make day two. That would be super fun. And LSV is there. It was like, I need pro points to get to platinum, you know, not, you know, <laughs> I must crush you. And then, yeah. oh, that's just, you know, pick any random pro. That, like, that's why they were attending GP. So like, why, why do you have a tournament 
where those two people are paired against each other. I guess, like, yeah, it is sometimes cool for those people to get paired against, you know, the pros, but it just doesn't make sense. Like, that's not really a, that's not a competitive environment, right? You know, and we had, you know, people making it to the pro tour that, you know, won a 30 person PTQ in fucking Alaska. Like, yeah, it's great that they have the opportunity to play pro tours, but honestly, like, you know, I think magic tournaments are more interesting when it's a dense, high quality field. The, the biggest problem I actually have with this OP system is that they haven't done a good enough job of making me care about the big tournaments and, and particularly the MPL splits. They're, they're coming up soon. They've got to do a better job of making people care about these. And I don't know exactly what that means, but right now people don't care about them. And that's the problem. So we have this system where we have, we've created this upper echelon of players and rivals in the MPL, and we have all these matches between them that should be really interesting because it's like all the best players going at each other, you know, over and over again. But like, why, why do I need to care? And we, they haven't done a good job of that yet. So we, we have this, the system isn't, that, that's a key aspect that this system needs to hit on because then it shows you that there's a reason that we have the system that, that elevates these people above the rest of competitive magic because we're creating this spectacle that you're going to want to see. You're going to want to watch and, and get invested in. And I actually did watch a good amount of the grand finals. Um, and you know, it was fine. It was, it was a good magic tournament, but it wasn't anything, you know, more special than a pro tour would be. I would, I would think under, under the old OP system. So th- there's got to be something extra there. Yeah. I mean, I agree with a lot of what you said. Um, I, I, you know, I definitely have some problems. Like, uh, you know, Austin's going to get a pat on the back, less money than he should have gotten, and because like we're 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 not going to go into the fact that there's just millions of dollars missing from from the prizes this year. We understand why, but still, it's it's weird. Um, but it, this doesn't qualify him for anything. You know, he's not in rivals now. He's not in the MPL because like that is weird to me that you're having someone that. You you built up this tournament all year long, sort of, right? Because I think they've done a horrible job marketing this year. I think that's one of their shortcomings, and it's hard to argue otherwise. Like you said, it's it's hard to get excited for the splits coming up, right? Here's the best part. I had no fucking clue that was even happening or what it <laughs> actually is, right? Because they don't do a good job telling us what's going on. I have to actively seek out stuff, right? Yeah, so they should be that, advertising that during the streets yes. of the Grand Finals. Here's, here's the problem. That's the biggest problem is... You have to have an innate want to understand what's going on. You have to have this curiosity and this want to to, to want to know more. And that's not necessarily en- like going to happen in enough players to build what you're doing and have that sustainable and get the viewership that you want instead of you grassroots growing that from some point, right? Like, hey, if you're watching this, you might be interested in this thing that's coming up soon. And here's here's a an easy video trying to explain it. A- you SCG advertises has- their stuff every week. You know, yes, I was, I was gonna, tours, I'm, like, I'm getting there. Here's our next stop. Here's, here's our I'm, coverage. I'm, I'm getting there. Hold on. And so, like, you, you keep making me lose my point, Ross. God damn it. <laughs> and so... I just think it's, you know, it's it's a failing on multiple levels from them, right? And I can't think of any other kind of, like, sport thing or, you know, uh, eSport thing or whatever where, like, the world champion is just given a pat on the back and given the money. Yeah, that's all great, right? Like, having the trophy is great, I, I assume. I don't know from personal experience, but it, it's great. <laughs> it and seems you know, great. Money, right? It seems, it seems awesome. It's something I really want. picture has, looks really happy. <laughs> it seems like it's something I've wanted for a long time, right? But the thing is, is, like, they're just going to tell them like good job um you you can't compete in this 
next year or whatever, right? Like it, it's it's arguable that he's been the best player of the world over the last year, right? And this is your quote unquote like everybody's treating this like this would be our worlds, you know, because like the sameish kind of size, the sameish kind of feel to, to worlds in the past, the tournaments that we've had. And he won this, and the world champion the next year will always get to play in like some pro tours or whatever. And yeah, he might get invited to like the mythic invitationals if we have those again next year. Who 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 knows? Right? They're all different, they all have different names. I'm sure he will, right? Um But it's it's confounding to me that some of these people that are in this this grand finals, right? That like you worked really hard this year. You were the top finishers this year. So you get to compete for this end of the year thing. And then it's just done. There's nothing else after that, right? So now you're back to square one next year. All of you are, which like, I understand just making it even a level playing field, but it's not, you know, for some of the other people. And it seems strange. It does make me appreciate Star City Games and like Channel Fireball and stuff a little bit more. Uh, the Channel Fireball one is called, is it called Brawl? Like I forgot what it's called. Bash? Clash. Bash? Clash. Clash. That's it. I just saw I saw the thing on the other screen. It says brawl for the the announcement, yeah. and it just made me think. But like, uh, you know, I've heard you know problems with the structure of both of them. But like, it at least gives other people an outlet, right? Like, because here's the thing: if I wanted to play competitive Magic right now, and I have not in quite a while, right? And I haven't really felt the need for the outlet, which I think is a failing on my end and a failing on Wasi's end, because one of the biggest things for people like me is I would watch a pro tour and I want to play with that deck, right? I don't mean Indiaco specific, just that one right there. That one spoke to me. I want to go get those cards and I want to go play with it, right? And there's nothing for me to play with it, like to play in it right now. Because like there's no paper, A. And B, like there's, I, I can't go to, a, you know, a Grand Prix. There's no PTQs. Like I could play in one of these Brawl events. I could play in one of the Star City game events. And like, that's awesome, right? That they give me that outlet. I just haven't done it because I, I don't feel like I've been incentivized to do so. And I'm not saying it's a failing on their because I think they're doing a great job. I'm just saying that's that's on me personally too. But how many of their major events in 2020 have not been followed by a ban within the next week or two? Not many, if any. Yeah, and it, that's a it big seems deal. Like every time they say we're going to wait till after this major event to make take any action because we don't want to interfere with people who have already started testing, and then we get this format where we absolutely know that a ban is going to happen and a miserable format, and then a ban happens and the this big tournament they just had is completely irrelevant. And so, like that's I, I kind of wanted to take this time we we're talking about to transition into the thing that we haven't talked about yet, and that's the standard ban that happened this week, and we had three cards get banned. Uh, the obvious one, uh, Omnath, is banned. Uh, another one that kind of became obvious and a lot of people have been calling for for actually quite a while. Some people have been talking about the format, you know, because here's the thing. When you ban the best card, it's it's important to understand or you ban the best deck, right? Understand what's going to happen next, right? And if there is one other deck that this one is keeping in check that will become the same kind of oppressive thing, you should maybe take care of that too. And that's what they did here with banning Lucky Clover because I, I got to say this, they actually said it somewhere. I don't remember if it was in this article or another one, but the win rate of just Lucky Clover going unanswered on turn two is astronomical. Like you just win the game at an at a absurdly high rate. And the card is not super interactable. I know it's a, it's an artifact and you can kill it, but there's not a lot of good ways to interact with artifacts, yeah. especially on like mana neutrality. You know, it's a, it's a two mana artifact and like leaving up two mana to disenchant something that they may or may not have and they could just play something else. You know, they could just play around you. Which like we, doing we that. actually like, like, saw in the in one of the games, uh, Autumn against Nasif, I think, where Autumn like makes a like play sequences their lands in a slightly awkward way, so they could guarantee have triple gr double green on turn three and gem raiser a turn two lucky clover from Nasif who was on the draw, and Nasif recognized that had clover in hand and just played something play. else. Yeah, Waited till turn four, went lucky clover, you know, either petty theft or stomp, 
I, I will say this. I think it is great that the I think it's awesome that the new generation of Magic players is getting to see Nasif at like the height of his powers it's, because Nasif is an all timer. Yeah, like really, he's really been impressive. he's been talked he's been talked about in the top three for the longest time. He's kind of gotten supplanted by uh, Paulo over the last and like the five L- days. Paulo you know? LSV really. Yeah, Paulo LSV the last five ten years kind of took him up, but for a while there it was it was Kai Finkel and Nasif. Yeah, right. And Nasif is like I think the most um, what's the right word I'm looking for here? The one that you can identify with the best. Because Nasif is like, when you think of Kai and when you think of Finkel and you think of LSV, you think of these untouchable gods in the game, right? Like, they don't mess up. They play perfect. They play really fast. And then you watch Nasif just bumble his way through a game, right? You see, you watch, okay. Playing glacially Nasif, slow. Like, like, glacially slow. And here's the thing. Uh, I say this from experience because I'm also this way. You see Nasif make plays that are ungodly good. Like, the one you're talking about right there, right? Like, plays that... Not negating the Ajani in Game Four of the Pro Tour Kyoto Finals. Yeah, just plays that baffle you, and then five turns later, you're like, "Oh, he was actually just right," and ninety nine point nine percent of population was just wrong. Yeah, yeah right. He like he makes a game for a head games, by the way. Yeah, and then he just plays the wrong land to like turn two in a game. You like he he wins unwinnable games of Magic and loses unlosable games of Magic. And I I, I say this from experience because I'm I'm a lot like that. I will make the bonehead play same, pretty often, same. but then I will make the like level 15 play, you know, at, at, the, at the right time. You've experienced it. You've seen me almost make horrific mistakes that are just like, how could you ever make that mistake and call yourself an intelligent Magic player kind of thing. So he's like the most identifiable one. But it is nice to see that like, the, the the younger crowd that may not have been around in like the late nineties and early two thousands, like the heyday of he was uh, mid to late two thousands. Kyoto was two thousand. Okay, I could I could yeah, I could remember the exact dates, right? Yeah. You know, I mean His all of the players the year two thousand four. Yeah, but but he was still good before then, right? Like he yeah, was still yeah, having he wasn't you know, really around finishes. in the late nineties. He, he, yeah. he came up a little after Kai and John. I'm saying, you know, some of these kids that like either A weren't alive or B were definitely not playing magic at the time or starting to see like it is cool to have one of the old guard like still still like represented. That's you know, it's cool to see someone, you know, of his age and his skill show off like how good he is, right? I have I have two good Nasif stories. Now that okay. we're on the Nasif side. One, my it was my first GP was uh GP New Jersey in two thousand four. Yeah, it would have been two thousand four. Or was it 2003? Whatever. Anyway. Uh, it was 2004. Um, yeah, it was 2004. Uh, summer of 2004, Mirrodin block constructed, right? And, you know, I'm playing Affinity. I'm walking around between rounds. We're in this sports complex. Because you, you have 30 minutes in between every round yeah. if you're playing Affinity. Yeah, yeah. We're, we're in this sports complex and our, basically just looks like a big warehouse room, the space that we're in. Like cement floors, ridiculously high ceilings with industrial air conditioned units in the coming from the ceiling. And so it's just a big, huge layout. And I just start walking around the room, like, you know, and I see Nasif playing and I walk, you know, walk over, see what's going on. He's playing tooth and nail, which I believe it was either him personally or a French team that he was on that developed that deck in block constructed. And it, was, it was definitely a French team. I don't know how much influence he had personally because that was one of the first pro tours I watched. Yeah, it was. It was one of the. Uh, it was, and that was one of the best acts. It, it could. It could definitely contend with Affinity and Block. Uh, t- turn two Talisman plus Ebolt. Your your creature was a, a nice nice start. Yeah. So uh, so he's. I, I look over and he's playing the Tooth and Nail Mirror, and he is just about to cast a Tooth and Nail. He casts it, and he starts looking through his deck, trying to decide what to get, and oh, eventually. I'm like, he, he starts taking, you know, 10, 20 seconds. And I'm like, God, this is boring. And I'm walking you know, around trying to find somebody else. And I literally walked around the entire hall, came back 
and he was still resolving that tooth and nail. <laughs> not surprised. I figured it was going to be like the the you not having reclamation stage in your deck thing. <laughs> he like goes there and realizes he boarded out a card that yeah, he, he needed just, or whatever. He just took a, a million years to resolve tooth and nail. Yeah. And then uh, the other thing that people need to realize about Nassif is he won player of the year in 2004. He won it by exactly a point, I believe. Might have been two points, actually. Uh, over Nikolai Herzog. Who won two Pro Tours that year? Two Pro back to back, by the way, if I remember yeah, right. Limited Pro Tours. I, I don't. I think they were because they were both limited. I don't think they were back to back. Okay, I was gonna say I, I can remember there. He won back to back limited Pro Tours. Yeah, back to back limited Pro Tours. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, he's, he's a limited master who you probably don't know, but Nikolai Herzog won two Pro Tours and Nassif obviously I player. know. <laughs> yeah, because I was a limited guy, so, so obviously that's how, I know. That's how good Nassif was. Um, yeah. Being able to beat someone that's got two of the max number of points events, you know, like it's because. They got the most points possible in those events, and no one else got even close and it's to that amount. More points. than you get for like top sixteening. Yeah, know? exactly. So, um, but anyway, we were we were almost finished with the standard talk, right? Like with the with what was banned because we hadn't gotten to the last card. Yeah, and this is the one that I wanted to talk about for like Escape the Wilds got banned. Here's my overarching thing when it comes to all this: when you have to ban a card like Escape to the Wilds, you fucked up. You messed up. Like there's something wrong with this format. You are not banning the right cards, or this is just a symptom of a bigger problem. I'm, I'm not convinced that they had to ban Escape to the Wilds. I get why they're doing it. They're trying to slow down the the ramp decks because, like, having Escape to the Wilds, that deck would still be very good, right? You'd go like Lotus Cobra into like you know cultivate and to do something else, uh, play my Fable Passage, crack my Fable Passage, Escape to the Wilds, play my extra land, get more mana, Ugin you. Like they, I think they just don't want people having ten to fifteen permits in play on like turn four against decks that are just trying to play like trying to play a normal game of magic now yeah but i just don't th i think those decks would match up very poorly against any deck that was consistently killing lotus cobra or countering your escape of the wilds see that's the thing I, that's the thing i'm talking about now too is I, I do think that is a good point and that's where i can agree with you is when you look at the format at large going into this event and how it's played and the way it's going on is i think interaction was at an all-time low yeah, you know, there's no one's doom blading anybody. No one's, you know, lightning bolting their creatures. Like no one's killing Lotus Cobra, right? No one's counterspelling Omnath. No one's counterspelling. Well, they were killing Lotus Wilds. Cobra because of Bunker. You get, stuff. you get what I'm saying. Yeah. I mean, overall, they literally like, right? would only interact with whatever like busted two mana play you had. Yeah, right. The, and that they ha absolutely have to interact with. It was like Edgewall Innkeeper, Lucky Clover, and Lotus Cobra. Yeah, but what I'm trying to make the po the point I'm trying to make there. Uh, is that like you don't have decks that are interacting like you don't have a control deck you don't have a mid-range deck that's trying to your mid-range deck is omnath like it's trying to just do this big busted thing with all this mana you don't have a deck that has 12 removal spells in it and some planeswalkers and some counter spells right you don't have what we've seen traditionally in magic and when you take omnath out when you take lucky clover out and you make the format a little bit slower right like you make it a little less degenerate i think is probably the better word to put decks like that can come back in right like yeah, you can start 100%. having a blue black control deck or a blue white control deck that like oh, you just want to play big expensive sorceries and like mana creatures? I can punish you for that, right? And that makes a healthier format most of the time, right? Like you don't just have this one deck dominating everything and taking these cards out is a big deal, right? Like Omnath replacing it. So like, why does it draw a card? Why does your life total start at 28? You know, like that's just, it's like absurd. Like you can't beat them down and you can't out card them because like they're just going to, you know, cast Escape of the Wilds or Omnath and get everything back. And Escape of the Wilds, I see why the card was designed the way it is. It's like it's a high risk, high reward card, and you might get a couple extra spells out of it, but you're spending five mana on what you would assume is turn four or five doing technically nothing, right? Like you might get to play an extra land, but you're probably gonna not get to play an extra spell. With Lotus Cobra, like you're getting all of it, even sometimes that turn.
Yeah, but most of the time, Escape to the Wilds was like I think designed to draw you like three cards, right? It was it was just Memory Jar in a lot of these decks. It was Memory Jar with untapping your lands. It was, it was pretty much like they went to Urza's block, they made Memory Jar, you cast Memory Jar, but it also untapped your lands like all those other busted spells. <laughs> you know, it's, it's just <laughs> time spiral. Like Memory Jar with Great Whale. Yeah, it's literally go. just time spiral, right? Like it's just like yeah. redo because like. You know, you think about all the cards that did something similar to this in the past. Like, you think of Sphinx's Revelation. A lot of people complained about that card, and rightfully so, because you would play this long, lengthy game, right? Like, mid-range was very good in that, in that format. You know, the mono-black decks, they could grind the best of any of them. But it could never beat, like, a quote-unquote miracled Revelation that was, like, even remotely good late in the game. And they're just like, they would, you know, you'd have, like, no cards, you top deck, and you have, like, eight or nine lands in play, and you're like, okay, draw seven, gain seven. The game just started over, except I have a hand now, and you do not. You only have what's in play, right? But... You could you could beat that on certain axes because like they don't get to do a lot that turn. You get to kind of set up the next turn. You get to kind of like you know pick and choose how you do things. This doesn't allow that to happen because all of it happens now. And then they're probably going to find another copy of this card too because they're going through fourteen cards a turn. Yeah. in their deck. It, it, and yeah, so it just snowballed so. Much. And that was the other big thing is like ramp decks in the past because I you know I've had a lot of success of ramp decks in my in my in my deck. You know I played a lot of Tron. You can call that a ramp deck, but I played you know Green Red Devotion. You know decks like that. I've, I've cast a lot of like. Farseek Cultivate type cards. You know, I played Wolf Run in a lot of big events when that deck was was in standard and stuff. And that was the payoff of that deck. Is like, yeah, you have these busted draws, but the thing is, if you if your big spell didn't resolve, right? Like your one big spell or your one big thing didn't resolve, or even if it did, if they had an answer to it, you're back to like somewhat parity, right? Because like now you're you're out of resources. And me and Brendan DeCandy were talking about this the other day. They've made the ramp cards too good. I think it's one of the big problems. Things like Time Spiral, Lotus Cobra, these cards are actual problems because there's almost no diminishing returns in these cards. Like, I, I think it's actually time that if you want ramp to be a thing that they can do, just give us rampant growth back. Like, that card is fine because, yeah, you're down a card. You get to go up on a mana, but you're down a card. Nowadays, the cards that get you up on mana, you're not down a card. Sometimes you're up on cards. Like, I just don't understand. Well, like... I don't think the issue is the power of the ramp cards themselves, although Growth Spiral is very good. Sp Spiral in particular was good with the decks that wanted to play a little bit more of an interactive game plan as well, uh, and it, so it, it floated the line between the two. I don't, and I, but I, I agree with your first point about the lack of diminishing returns for ramp decks. Like ramp decks are supposed to, like you know, when they're humming, cast a really powerful threat a couple turns ahead of schedule and try to dominate with that threat and you have to expend a lot of resources dealing with it and then maybe by that time they found another one but sometimes they flood or sometimes they stumble and you, and you can overwhelm them and they really don't match up well against any strategy that can efficiently answer your threats you know counter spells have traditionally busted up ramp decks yeah you always reason. have like a four of in your sideboard that's good in the matchup where like i can start casting something that they have to counterspell or they can't counterspell that kind of like you know what i mean you you played that dance yeah right? yeah you you would board in your like ulamogs or crag no the the, the one now is crag plate bailoff but a guy's revenge that's what i was trying to think of yeah uh miscutter hydra yeah, you know, yeah. Like, like, stuff yeah, like yeah. that to try to get yeah. through counterspells right and and other decks would always have their disdainful strokes against you and, and stuff like that so that kind of dichotomy always existed with ramp decks so that was fine because you know sometimes they didn't have counterspell and your thing resolved and that was cool and sometimes they you know traded two mana for your eight and your deck looked embarrassing yeah or like i mean i again i play these decks a lot like how many times do i have an opening hand where like i have what i like to joke is all filler and no thriller you know you have like you know your opening hand would be like two or three lands like a bunch of rampant gross maybe like a solemn simulacrum like whatever you know a ramp spell and you're like all right well i need to draw one payoff and i'm okay and here you are on turn seven with 11 mana in play and you're just like i, I never i never drew a playoff payoff and i'm just attacking for two 
you know, or like I drew my other interactive cards. I drew my my shocks that are in my deck because I need to be able to not die to mono red, and that's okay. The problem is now all the payoff cards are and all the cards that get you to the payoff cards generate too much value. Like there, you're not running out of resources by doing this. And yes. in the tradition of Magic, that's what the ramp deck has done. It's sacrificed, you know, early development and resource to get a huge payoff at the end. It's it's that's where it's all of his resources are going. It's going into you know, this big payoff at the end. Now, all those resources, like, you get stuff back for, for, for you know what I mean? Like, everything yeah, draws yeah. a card now. So, like, that, everything e- replaces so that even itself. when they answer your big threat, you still have a lot going on. You yeah, get to keep playing Magic. Yeah. And then you also got to, like, be a mid-range deck or you got to be a, like, flash deck, like Reclamation. So, yeah. you know, when you were sideboarding, you couldn't just sideboard in your anti-ramp cards. You know, all the Reclamation players would cut down on, on Reclamations. The Fires players used to cut down on Fires. And that, that was fine. They literally like didn't have to. They weren't reliant on their key build around cards because the rest of it was so powerful. It let them play multiple plans. That's also something that ramp decks historically haven't been able to do because ramp is supposed to be a linear strategy. You're supposed to have to devote a lot of you know you have to you have to have a high land count. You have to have a good number of payoffs. You have to have a lot of you know ramp growth style effects. I, I look at at a Titan Shift as sort of the canonical ramp deck in my mind. Okay. You know, it has that aspect where you can just beat them with lands, which is kind of cool and a little bit different, but it plays like 40 cards that produce mana and like 15 payoffs and five pieces of interaction. And that's your deck, essentially, you know, give or take one one or two in each category, right? And when they counter your Primeval Titan, your deck looks pretty embarrassing. Yeah. But when it resolves, your deck looks unbeatable. And you're you're very. I've watched consistent. you. I've watched you play Blue Moon against enough Primeval Titan decks yeah. to like just be like, this is last. Sorry, Becky. <laughs> yeah, sorry, <laughs> Becky. Yeah, yeah, exactly. But you get to say like, I, I know exactly what you're saying, and I think you're right. You know, and yeah. we don't have that problem. And like I have said this in the past, I've I've literally been quoted this probably like multiple times in my life over a span of a lot of years, where I think formats are healthy when mono red is good. I don't literally mean specifically mono red, but you get the point that i'm trying to make when when there's a good aggro deck when there's a good mid-range deck when there's a good control deck and you have options right and then you have to curtail those decks to be correct and like maybe this is me being an old man and wanting you know what was good in my day etc but like you get what i'm trying to say this is we have good mono red cards like right like ember cleave is one of the better like mono red finishers that we've seen in a long time it's very you know very very powerful because not only is it really powerful, but you don't have to try super hard to make it good because it's what the deck is good at anyway. It's what the deck's trying to do, right? It just fits in. And when you have cards like Omnath, who just, like, that card just shits all over an aggro deck, right? Like, if you turn three an Om- Omnath and gain four life, like, you know, you get to make another land drop or whatever, however you want to do all of it. Like, I don't know, what, like, if I was an aggro deck, I'd be like, what the fuck is going on? You know, I'd just be like, this is ridiculous. You, like, absolutely so you didn't have even to have that option. it. Otherwise, yeah, you, you lose have the game option. on the spot, and even if you do, they've gained so much value that you still feel behind. They, you, you just got three for one. Yeah, there's no. You literally just got three for one. There's yeah. no win win scenario there. Yeah, and you're not developing because you probably spent a, a two mana sorcery dealing four damage, which is like probably your entire turn so or the, most of your. They turn. have their turn to cast Escape to the Wilds, and then you're just like, oh, next turn they're gonna go off and and I'm they're gonna omnath me again and yeah. put a bunch of lands into play. And I, I think what what happened is in the last three years someone made the decision that they needed to design cards and make the game so that there were very few non-games i don't know who made that decision but that decision was made and that is a new paradigm that they're designing under i think that was the impetus for the london mulligan rule and we've seen all of these cards that keep the gas flowing 
and make sure that you don't get to this point where both players just run out and it's a top deck war or one player runs out and they get steamrolled, right? So that magic, the magic just keeps going, keeps going, keeps going. And you, you can do that, but you can't do that and also have these powerful, like snowball-y game ending threats. But they need those because those things are flashy, right? And they all, always need those in some sets. And if you, when you combine those with these powerful value cards that are supposed to be keep the gas flowing, then you have a, a, a dominant strategy. Because there's just no, they're like, you have cards that you absolutely need to interact with, the high end cards, and, and even the, the, the bridge cards, or they're gonna run away with the game, but it's impossible to interact with a huge portion of them in a profitable way. So that, or even on mana neutrality or whatever, you're just always putting yourself into a bad position. Yeah. And, yeah. and that's actually why I think cards like Embercleave and Wynota have seen as much play in the last year as they have, is because the actual only way to even have a shot against these decks is to just be, to cheese them out, be powerful and linear, right? And Wynota and Embercleave are the best powerful linear aggro cards that exist in standard. I actually think those two cards get significantly worse. I think they're going to be big underperformers in the coming standard metagame. You're going to be let down, right? Like you expect them to be the next big thing that might not yeah. necessarily. Like I, be true. I don't want to play Gruel aggro. I, want, I just want to be mono green. I want to be more consistent. Yeah. I want to, you know, just play. My and there's people that are saying that deck, like you know, they're like, oh, this deck's great because it just lost its natural prey. When I'm like, well, if, if a bunch of decks aren't playing interaction now, that you're going to have to change your deck now too because you're going to be facing more Doom yeah. Blades. You know, you're going to be facing more kill your creature. Yeah, I want to top out at Vivian. I kind of want to like you circle back to the thing you said just real quick about like you know they made this decision three or four years ago about like you know ma- having less games. I'm sure some people listening and some people at home will say, like point to LSV losing into the finals of that Grand Prix to, to Ellen Bogan. The Pro Tour. You know. Yeah, I'm sorry. Did I say Grand Prix? I meant to say Pro Tour. Sorry. Honestly, it wasn't that much before that where it was there was the Pro Tour that Joe Larson won over Siggy. And Siggy mulled a four in game five. And a lot of people are going to point to that and be like, that's that's where the decision happened. They didn't want that happening. I'm, I'm not saying you're right. I'm not saying you're wrong. Those are definitely... It certainly happened before then, right? Because that was the Guilds of Ravnica Pro Tour and Uro, or like Field of the Dead got printed the previous summer. Yeah. <laughs> or, I'm just no, saying no. those those are... Those are it points got that you later can... that summer. So, but Ura, uh, I guess actually, like, could, could it have been? How, how far? We're talking like six months ahead of War of the Spark. So things are pretty finalized by that point. Yeah, they work like two years well, ahead. Yeah, and so it's like you're gonna you're gonna have people point to those points like that's where they decided. You know, like because like this is a thing they've seen, right? This is a moment that you've seen in history where like you're like that wasn't fair. You know, that wasn't right kind of thing. And, like, who, who are we to say what's fair and right in this game? And who deserves what? I hate the word deserve or whatever in this. And, like, you know, and I want to say that, like, obviously that you're not right. You're not wrong. Like, that wasn't the moment that Watsi looked at it. And they're like, you know, somebody up higher up is like, LSV should have won this game. And we're going to make it to where this doesn't happen to somebody in the future. Like, that didn't happen, right? There's not some guy with a monocle and a mustache that he's twirling back, you know, sitting in his big chair behind his desk saying, I'm going to change the game because of this. But they did make a conscious decision three, four, five, whatever years ago to 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 have less non-games to make the game. And I'll tell you why. It's nothing about that. It's about money. It's about marketing the game towards the newer generation. If you look at every single game that's Magic-esque, right? You know, Hearthstone, all the quote-unquote non-competitors, right? None of them have a resource system where this kind of thing happens to you. This is like the only one where it has the land system where you can get land screwed right like i'm sure there's a game i'm not mentioning that has something similar where you can get kind of screwed this way but all the other games you play on a much more fair footing you know one 
sure, lower variance footing, right? And so they wanted to kind of move a little bit more towards that. And you've seen a lot of decisions go that way, right? To where, to where the games get to play out more. You, you have less non-games and stuff like that. And like, here's the thing. It's not the magic that I grew up loving. It's not the magic that I'm used to seeing. It's better for the game overall. It's going to sell more packs. It's going to bring I'm more people sure to the game. that's true. If, if it creates these broken metagames, that's bad. I, I agree with that. I'm not saying it doesn't do that. I'm saying overall for the game, for what they are trying to accomplish. I'm, I'm saying this from their side, from what they are trying to accomplish. I'm seeing it from the eyes of someone that has to answer to Hasbro. You know, it has to answer to our bottom line. You are a cash cow, because let's be real, Transformers isn't making them a lot of money right now. You know, th this is what's making money. This is this is our like golden egg IP. You know, this is this is what's doing it for us. We need profits. We need to sell packs. We need to do all this, and and that's what they've done. Magic's still at some historical all time highs. Arena's still killing it. They're still making a lot of money off that stuff. Is it? Yeah, I mean, they release their their reports every quarter or whatever, and they're they're doing very well. Okay. Overall, I mean, like I don't have like literal legit data that's saying this is the best point Magic has ever been like numerically for players and whatever. Blah blah blah. They're still making profit, right? And there's been pro there's been points in the past where it hasn't. But you can think about it over the last five to seven years, Magic has been on a perpetual upward really trend. Ten years. Yeah, it's 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 unreal, it's right? Like I, I still, yeah, so I still remember a point in time in Magic where there was a it was going the other way, where like you felt like there were less players, less people were going in. Consumer confidence was at the all time, time low. Spiral era, Times Spiral era uh, coming out of Mirrodin yeah. was really really that, like, that was it, it honestly, that was what caused the downward trend, and I think it reached its low point in the Times Spiral era, and then we saw Planeswalkers and. That was a big reason that they they. I remember back tournaments up. being really small. The overall exuberance for the game was at all time low that I was around. You saw less new people. You know, like you know, less people getting into it because they get into it and they this would happen to them. They'd sit down for a game and someone would just like ravage for them. You know, it looks like a cardboard crack comic almost. You know, so some dude doing fifteen thousand things with dice and you're like, I have two lands in play. I haven't even cast a spell yet. You know, or whatever. Um, and we we can get into that stuff like another time or whatever. But I I kind of think it, it's interesting that. They chose this time to start doing this too, because I think it aligns with the OP changes where if they're going to focus on a professional class of player and really try to promote them, having a lower variance game helps keep those players who presumably are the best players in the world at the top, right? It means it's going to be less likely where they have a random season and where, you know, they just bomb a couple of pro tours and, and don't re-up. So it, it makes sense for many reasons why they did it. I think it's pretty clear that either there were uh, circumstances that are potentially unavoidable, um, th so that that they didn't anticipate, because maybe they say like, well, we can't stop pushing envelope with these certain cards because that's more important than you know uh, pushing OP and the other benefits to to this change in design philosophy, and we can't continuously have horrible standard environments and unbalanced standard environments with so many bans, or they say we need to uh, you know fine tune and adjust where we're putting the power level a, a bit more. Um, and th that's probably more likely, but I, I, the big takeaway for me here, and it's the same takeaway as from the, the, the OP changes in, it's something that is missed in basically every single discussion that happens about these things in the magic community, because it, it is the, the idea that every change you make is always going to have some improvements and some, yeah. you know, some cost to it. Right. Yeah. And everybody talks about how, like the community only focuses on the downside of everything always ignores the downsides that existed under the previous systems and looks at them with rose-colored glasses, and which makes you seem like they've, you know, the change was universally bad when it just wasn't. And then keeps trying to, like, propose fixes for the one specific problem that they think is 
the uh, the issue and it needs to be fixed and ignoring the downsides that they're like the obvious downsides that their proposed fix has it happens all the time. And it really annoys me. It's why I don't really get into these discussions on social media at all. Mm-hmm. Um, but it would be behoove a lot of people to try to take a more holistic approach to these things and figure out what are the like the even 10 variables that they're trying to balance. And there's probably more than that. And then try to come up with a way to balance all of them. And you're not going to get, you're not going to score 10 out of 10 on each of those metrics. It's impossible. Yeah. Right? You got, yeah. you got to decide which ones are most important, which ones are least important and try to make the right balance. Right now we have a system that is a little bit, it's more complicated, a little more difficult to follow. Though, like, how many people really knew exactly how many points you got at every single level at, you know, finish at a Pro Tour. Do you know how many points 11-5 at a Pro Tour got in 2017? The, the people that it's relevant to. That's, that's the only people. Exactly. Know. And I'm sure the people... Or, or who followed Cedric on Twitter because that was his record in every event. Yeah. I, well, no, he 10-5 every Grand Prix. He did not 11-5 every Pro Tour. 11-5 yeah, was worth you, you 10 know, points, you, by you the know way. You know what I mean. You know what I mean. 11-5 was worth 10, 10 Pro Points. Do you know sure. what's, like, you know, silver, gold, and platinum also, like, constantly changed a little bit? Like, yeah, I'm sure okay, people did, didn't realize that. But now, and now they complain that like this system is too hard to keep track of. Yeah. I bet the people in Rivals and MPL know exactly how it works, right? Talk to any of them. I bet ninety percent of them know exactly how it works. Of course, I, right? would, I would hope it's a hundred percent. You know, you never know. I'll, 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 I'll be concerned. There's the one person who's like, I'm just happy to be here. I'm yeah, show yeah. And play. <laughs> uh, so you know, like again, like the people that it directly affects it, like and are incentivized to know how it works, know exactly how it works. And Watsi could do a better job of advertising the rest of us and sort of beating us over the head with it, and then we would know how it works, and they should do that. But that, so that's the fix to it. It's not change the entire system. And it, so my initial point is that we've gone from a system that you know had a very clear pathway for aspiring competitive players to the upper echelon, to the Pro Tour, and to Gold and Platinum. It's like, play in these tournaments, qualify for the Pro Tours, play in the Grand Prix as much as you can. These are the number of points you get based on your record, you know, and how you qualify for Pro Tours, and that's what you do, right? And you just keep playing enough of those, and eventually, you know, you two can make it. Now we've got this weird system where you've got to, like, you know, there's, like, three different ways to qualify. You can do it via arena or in-person events when they come back and maybe something else. And, you know, that gets you to a certain level. And then doing well there gets you to a certain level. And in each place, there's, like, a fail-safe where, like, if you do well enough, you start a little bit closer next season. And, you know, it's a little bit more complicated. But there is a clear progression there. It's just a longer progression because OP is bigger and we have more people playing. And they like they need to winnow down a larger field, so there needs to be more levels. Like, do you think prof- like professional baseball started with a minor league system? No, that happens when they realize like when you know maybe there were there were some leagues you know around all the time because things you know spread up organically. But once it sets down and starts being organized, like those leagues were not affiliated with major league teams, and eventually they started becoming affiliated once they wreck like you know. Uh, baseball recognized the need for those things and it became bigger and more popular. You know, these kinds of progressions happen in competitive endeavors when they become bigger. And it's a lot of people who are just sort of pining for the, the older days. It reminds me of that movie that George Clooney did about the early days of professional football. Um, where Leatherheads. Yeah, you got me on this Leatherheads. One. Sure. It's like mid two thousands. I remember this. Now. Yeah, I mean, now I remember and this. Yeah, he's like you know they're you know early days of professional football. Nobody really cared uh, because the college football was way more popular, right? Most college player, most like college stars didn't even go on to play pro football. They went on into regular careers because there was no money in it. 
And like, it was sort of no holds barred. There were trick plays all over the place. And, you know, and I don't know how accurate it was, but in the movie, like the, the George Clooney's character, like loved that. Like that's what he loved about football. And it started getting a little bit more popular and they made the NFL in the twenties and it got, you know, more organized. And he realized that just football kind of wasn't for him because that's not what it was about anymore. And maybe that's going to be true with magic. Like maybe, you know, competitive magic is not going to be for some people because of the way these systems are changing. But in order to have a compelling argument, you have to argue that it's like significantly worse on a whole host of other metrics. And you might be right. That might be true. But nobody has presented a cogent argument to that effect to me at all. And I see that there are benefits here going on. Um, you know, w- with this new OP system, I realize we've gone back to the OP discussion when we were talking about standard, but I'm just yeah. really fired up to talk about it. No, of course. And I was going to say, like, I was probably going to curtail us a little bit because we do need to kind of like hit a few more things that we were trying to talk about in the show today before we get done. Yeah. Because, I mean, we are taking a lot of time on this. And the standard environment, uh, honestly, m- might be a casualty of these changes of OP right now. And it might be like that they needed, they wanted to build an environment that would cater more to the, what they were doing with OP and that they either failed in doing so or, or there were some unforeseen consequences of what they were doing. Uh, that's something I hadn't even thought about before, just uh, as a. And so that does lead me to the question, though, that we were that we were going to ask and talk about. I know that you and Corey talked about this a lot in last yesterday's episode of Versus, you know, and it's something that I want to talk about. It's like, do you think standard is fixed now? And my initial reaction is I think it's going to be better. I mean, it can't be worse, right? Well, we've sort of said that for the last year, and each time it ends up the same. <laughs> you you guys made a point yesterday that I think is very, very important, and I'm going to kind of paraphrase you. you. You said that this is one of the first times, if not the first time, that there has been a ban like this where there hasn't been an obvious next problem card. You know, when they banned Uro, you're like, well, what about Omnath? You know, like before this new band, Oko, it's like, well, what about Uro? You know, like stuff like that. You know, we haven't had, we don't have that next card where we're like, all right, well, everyone's just going to play this and we're going to have to deal with that for a month or two until they ban something. So I'm optimistic. I'm going to play uh, some standard arena. My buddy's like, you've got to see this rogues list I've been playing with. I've been doing very well with it. I'm like, the fact that that card in those decks are playable makes me have high hopes for this format because like here's the thing dude I, I look at standard i look at all these cards that are in it right and i just forget that they're legal because they haven't been played i'm like that card is exceptionally powerful and cool and fun but we haven't had a chance to play it you know like i i actually just want to play rogues mill my opponent a little bit rewind their spell and then cast into the story that's all that's what i want to do in magic and i haven't <laughs> yeah. been able to do that but like now i might be able to like just play a crab on one play some lands you know mill them a little bit you know give tickle them a little bit you know and then and then you, you know, know what i was doing last night to people What's that? Turn one, Whisper Squad. Turn yeah, two, I saw this. Search yeah. for a second squad. Mm-hmm. Right? Curve out. Squad up. Turn, yeah, call t- it. turn three, Siren Stormcaller, cast Village Ride, sack one of the squads, draw four. That's pretty good. You got a 2-1 and a 1-1 one, one in play. You got full grip. If you're on the play, seven cards in hand. Let's go. But see, like, the fact that you're saying this stuff and you're optimistic, like, that's a big deal, right? Like, um... There, there's there's a couple decks in, in mind that I'm like super excited to play with or just cards that I'm super excited to play with in, in the future. And I got to say, um, there, there's some stuff, you know, that I'm I'm, I'm really looking forward to. Um, one of the ones I'm trying to remember the name of the damn card and I've been really bad about it. The, uh, the, the new Death Shadow. Scourge of the Skyclaves. Yeah, I'm really interested to see that card. I'm going to play that with like Feed the Swarm. Um, I think you just named it the Red Black Aggro Creature that deals one to each of you. I'm going to play like Fist Rank- Crusader. Yeah, Star First Crusader, Rankle, a bunch of stuff like that, and just play that kind of deck. I, I want to see if that's good. 
you know, uh, maybe even play some of the other newer cards, like uh, the 3-1 the Shade I'm a big fan of, and just stuff like that. Like, just, you know, cards I want to play. And, like, I think that you can do that and be somewhat competitive in the format now. Well, before this, it felt really bad to ever try anything. And, and we've been through this progression before, right, with the energy cards in Kaladesh. They mm -hmm. started by banning Emrakul, which eventually wasn't an, that energy mid-range shell was the best shell that uh, Jacob Ball won the Envy with. Then they had to ban Cat. Then they had to ban Marvel. And then finally, they were like, okay, we'll just ban a bunch of the energy cards. And it was yeah. like, you know, Rogue Refiner and we'll a Bite the Bullet. Yeah. yeah. And after that, once they finally like got rid of the, the actual source of the problem, then that, that format was pretty good, right? There were energy yeah. decks. It was like Grixis or Demir. Yeah, uh, that format was good. Yeah. Yeah. So we've seen that there, the optimism in this scenario comes with some precedent, right? That, you know, maybe this can happen. And, uh, you know, th there's not another oppressive-looking big mana card. I've seen some people play some ramp decks, and, like, they've done some cool things, but I've also run them over. Like, I had... Lotus it. Cobra is still a very powerful magic card. Yeah, but when I killed their Lotus Cobra, and they went Cultivate into Terror of the Peaks, and then I killed their Terror of the Peaks, I was really far ahead. Yeah. So I killed their Cobra for one mana, and their Terror of the Peaks for three mana. When, you, when your card that's also a land kills their two drop, and then your two mana card kills their five drop, like you're like, oh yeah, I'm actually doing it. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. and I was playing creatures in the meantime and beating them down, and like yeah. there was one game where my opponent had like the exact perfect hand to barely stabilize. They had like, you know, I duressed them, and they had six lands in play, and their three-card hand was double Ugin Scavenging Ooze, and I took one of the Ugins, and they drew Cultivate, and that let them cultivate, play the scavenging ooze, have two green up, so I could only get them to one when they could gain two life, and then they were had the eighth land because of the cultivate to Ugin me. So, you know, and like that they barely squeaked out of the game. That's cool. They they you know, they got a little lucky at the end, but I like was able to get ahead and then they you know stole the game with a, a good top deck. That's like, you know, dynamic, interesting magic. That would be fun to watch. You know, I'm a little salty because I got sacked out. They ripped the perfect card, but, you know, that's beside the point. But you got to actually have interactive magic back and forth, and you cast your spells and stuff. Yeah. That's what I'm looking forward to. Exactly. Because I will say this, it, 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 and this is not a, anything saying bad about the, the format, because I do play the format and enjoy it. It's it, Standard has felt like Commander a lot lately, and one of the things in Commander is, like, one of the better ways to be playing Commander is to always be doing something powerful and not trying to, I don't care what you're doing. I'm not interacting. I will if I absolutely have to, right? Yep. But I'm you know, like do people are playing thing. Aether Gust main because it's just so fucking good. You know, like, Jesus Christ, that card. But, like, and formats that have that made, like, come on. <laughs> like, let's get out of here. But, well, um, though, yeah, though, I don't like having really powerful, narrow interaction like that to begin with. Uh, I fucking hate Mystical Dispute as, like, one of my least favorite cards of the last 10 years. Um, in part because it is much better against blue aggressive decks than it is against control decks. Yeah. Um, yeah, just one blue mana. Yeah, like, yeah, just yeah, yeah. Not a fan. You. Uh, it, it's not playing its intended purposes. When they when they made that card, they had an envision of the way it was playing. It's not necessarily doing yeah. it. Yeah. So, um, oh, those those narrow uh, that that cycle of narrow interactive cards. But the the thing about those cards is, in a healthy metagame, they're going to rise and fall in playability based on you know what decks are seeing play, and that's going to change week to week right, with how dynamic standard it typically is or is when it's at its best. But the fact that the formats were broken to begin with meant that there was always one of them that saw significant play and just became the best piece of interaction, 
And, you know, when your decks are all minimally interactive because you all have been doing this really powerful thing, then it's just the best interaction you can have because everybody's playing that same thing anyway, and it just becomes really asinine. So that it really showed how broken those formats were that Noxious Grasp and Aether Gust were just in main decks all the time. Veil of Summer had to be banned, and Fry was completely unplayable. unplayable. Uh, <laughs> because it just didn't answer the two things it needed to answer. So to kind of go back to our point in the in the note that we have everything you know is standard fixed now i want to say a tentative yes and i'm optimistic and this is probably the most optimistic i've been but like i said earlier i've been hurt before yeah i'm cautiously optimistic i was optimistic going into this set and then they showed me omnath and i i honestly like it didn't even like register with me that of course omnath is going to do the same thing and i felt like i just immediately blocked that card out of my head like and i just tried to ignore it it's it's uh it's like a PTSD thing. Like you know what's gonna trigger you, so your brain doesn't even allow you to like go there. Um We did have this we did have this d- planned discussion, and we can kind of go through this really quickly, where we're gonna talk a little bit more about Omnath and see if it was too good for Pioneer or Modern. Uh my quick answer is I don't think it's too good for Pioneer right now. Because the obvious deck that it's in and the obvious deck that's been fixed in has been five color Niv, and five color Niv has not been performing the way it was. Uh, you know, last month. I haven't looked at the results from literally this weekend, but, you know, the ones from the weekend before, the weekend before, we saw that Niv was not putting up the results that it had been in the past. And this is a card that just automatically fits into that deck. And that's probably one of its best homes. I'm sure a deck will come up in Pioneer. Like, I'm sure they'll just build the Omnath ramp deck at some point. It'll be good, but we'll see. As for Modern, I don't know if it can be too good for modern right like modern already has a lot of really busted things going on and it's going to be hard for that card to be oppressive in that format it can be good and not be oppressive i have seen um some of the decks that have been winning in modern recently and it's, it's been in a, like a lot of the best decks like i think one of the challenges or the the big event that happens weekend it was the first three decks i think first second and third all had omnath but have you seen the cool uh deck i'm sure uh your 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 castmate on versus live Corey is loving the cat decks that have shown up oh yeah with oh, omnath yeah. so it's just a healy rye feldar guardian omnath and just a bunch of stuff like a lot of people are talking about that uh Ut- utopia sprawl is like the new mox opal type thing that, like utopia sprawl is just allowing really really busted things to happen in the format and stuff so uh i gotta say this it's gonna be hard for me to say that omnath is too good for 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 modern it on a just pure power level. Obviously, the card is absurdly powerful, but there's a lot of cards that are absurdly powerful in modern. The only time that I will have a problem with it is if it's just all the decks. Kind of like, I feel like it's... It, the thing is, all the cards are so good nowadays, it's going to be like modern was after Urza got printed. It was just like, what Urza deck are you playing? You know, it's got to fit into some modern deck. You know what I'm saying? Like, all of them just become blue soup, right? Like, it just yeah. became this weird deck like that. It was just Oko... Uh, Urza and like some deck with that, right? And like they they just jammed it into decks, right? And you're starting to see that with Omnath, and that actually starts happening where every deck is just casting Omnath because your mana is so good and you have fetch lands. Then that's the problem. Yeah, and, and those decks are definitely around in modern, but they're not dominant. You know, the there's a lot of vile decks, humans, death and taxes have been doing well. There's the the Racto Shadow decks that are sort of a hybrid between prowess and shadow. Um, and then there's, you know, Titan decks, there's Tron decks, um, you know, that, that are all around. So the, the modern seems fine right now. You know, it's a sort of a case of obviously with fetch lands, Omnath is a much more powerful card in modern without considering the, the metagame around it. But the rest of the metagame is powerful enough to react appropriately. 
And in Pioneer, it's about as powerful as it would be in the standard. You know, the s similar tools exist. You have Growth Spiral. So like, a little bit different, slightly better, but also Pioneer is significantly more powerful than standard. Uh, so it seems to me like it rises to a level that is answerable and, and, and handleable in those formats. This is why you don't, like, you don't see decks playing four Omnaths. Like maybe you do in Pioneer, you really don't see it in Modern. The, the, the sort of soup decks, they play like two Omnath, maybe three. Uh, there is a four-color Omnath deck in Pioneer, so that deck's playing four. But the, like, the Niv decks play like one. Yeah, and like Mostless, so, um, and I think of the, of some Reclamation decks, they play, yeah, you know, it, it, it's, it's seeing play, but again, the, those decks just aren't dominant. So it seems like it's at an appropriate level for those formats, but, it's such an asinine card that I honestly wouldn't mind if it went. And it's definitely a card that, you know, along with Uro and a lot of the other cards that have been banned in standard, it, look, anytime a card gets banned in standard, it should be on a watch list for other formats, right? Hopefully that's how Watsy does it. Who the fuck knows? But, um, you know, and, and that I would hope that they have a pretty quick trigger with it because we've seen enough of that card essentially, you know, I, on a, it's only been legal for two weeks, but honestly, I've seen enough of that card for a fucking lifetime. Yeah, I mean, and you're you're looking at historically quick ban, right? Like I'm thinking, yeah. I'm looking at you, Memory Jar. You know, like cards that have been banned absurdly fast because they've realized the problem that it is right away, and that should tell you all you need to know about the power level of that card and what's going on, right? Like I I don't think you can argue otherwise. Completely so agree. um, yeah, I, I'm excited for standard going forward. Here's the thing: we've seen a lot of really cool and powerful mythics rares uncommons that just haven't gotten their chance to be good in standard and i can't wait to see like you know you mentioned terror of the peaks i see terror of the peaks in like a lot of a lot of decks right now because when that card got printed everybody's like oh my god and then like i remember looking at it and being like yeah this card's great how does it how does it ever beat teamer reclamation you know how does this ever deal with oko you know like i don't remember that card was legal at the time but you get what i'm saying overall like you know how does this ever beat what the established best decks are because it doesn't you know kind of thing and like now yeah you're getting to see the card show up you know yeah it showed up as like a one of in some of the decks before this because it was a cool combo card with some other stuff with you know but like i'm 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 excited to see us explore a lot of the powerful cards that got printed that just got left in the dust yeah and i'm excited to be able to play creatures that will sometimes die to removal in decks that aren't hyper aggressive <laughs> mm -hmm. yeah absolutely yeah, and like that's what I'm saying. You can you can play an aggro deck now, right? Like you could play it's it's like they unbanned one and two drops creatures, right? And they unbanned uh you know Doom Blade. I keep using it as the example. Well, you could play an aggro deck before. It just had to kill people really quickly and play something like Embercleave or yeah. uh, or the Winota, aspect of it, yeah. right? Uh, now you can do a little bit more grinding with your aggro deck. So a card like Skyclave Shade that you mentioned earlier, or Skyclave Apparition, which we've seen a good amount of in Pioneer and in Modern, those are cards that look a lot better in a format where people aren't just killing you on turn five. Yeah, that card's just good, man. Like, oh yeah, Apparition's just really good. I think it's gonna be good in Legacy. Like, that card's just good. Part of it is is how good it is with Aethervile. Uh, but we are seeing it see play in, in Pioneer, though. If you look at some of the Pioneer Spirits lists, they've pulled back on Apparition a little bit. A lot of them yeah. are just sideboarding it. So it might be that the card is just really good in Vile decks. So maybe it's not as, not going to be as good in Standard. But I've been I've been reasonably impressed by it in Standard. When you have things like Luminarch Aspirant and Maul the Skyclaves to really get value out of the body that's laying around, mm -hmm. uh, you're, you're in good shape. Also, it seems like a good sideboard card too, right? And like you're, if you're like white aggressive deck, just needs a 
needs a removal spell, it's like I might as well attack a creature onto it as well. Because like the thing is, you're not you're not planning on playing that card and then playing multiple turns later down the game where they might get value from whatever they get. No, you're playing it to remove the bit, you know, the specific thing that's giving you a problem this turn, and you're going to put them in a position that even if they kill this the next turn, it's not going to be good enough from here on out. Yeah, and uh, and uh, the one unfortunate aspect to it is. Um it doesn't answer one of the key artifacts that you need to answer from white decks, which is the Great Henge. Uh, you know, the, so like Skyclave Apparition is nice because it gives you sort of incidental answers to non-creature permanents that everybody wants, but it's you don't really want to play the really narrow answers if you can avoid it. And Apparition lets you do that, but because it doesn't hit the Henge, which I think is going to be a popular card and a card that's generally good against white creature decks where Apparition is going to see play, you're probably still going to want some disenchants in your sideboard. <clears throat> yeah, exactly. Um, before we move on to the next section, I did actually want to take a second and give a, a shout-out to our sponsor, uh, Barrister and Man. Super excited to have them back on. They just re-upped with us. Uh, excited to have another long-time agreement with them because I'm a huge fan of their products. Ross, I don't know if you had a chance to read their email to us this morning, but you got mentioned specifically in it because there's a product in there that I think you're going to be very, very happy with. They're coming out with a beard oil. Oh, baby. Yeah, and so uh, the email's funny. It's like, Ross, we're 100% sending this to you. Tannen, if you want some, let us know. Uh, you can't see me at home right now, but I've got, I'm have got i rocking a little bit of a beard today. I haven't shaved this week yet, so I got a little, I might give it a try. Yeah, you have what I would describe as a beard. You're, you're beyond yeah. stubble. Yeah, thank you. Appreciate it. I, I was going to say, I'm not a bearded guy, but every now and then I rock it just because I'm lazy for a few days. Uh, so I'm very interested to see that because like that's the biggest thing for me, right? Is like the, One of the main reasons I get rid of this is... Like, right now, I can feel it. You know what I mean? I can, like, feel the beard on my face because I don't take care of it. You know, I don't oil it. I don't, you know, take care of my skin underneath it. Because you've, you've always said that. And I've heard this from everybody else who has a beard. Is It's very important to take care of your skin underneath it, right? And take care of the hair itself because it is hair, you know? And, like, I don't think to wash this, like, when I'm washing my hair. You know, it's, like, not a thing that's ingrained to me. So having a product like a beard oil from Verisford Man would go a long way in helping me uh, keep this healthy and possibly keep... A beard, you know, I might actually, you know, because I here's the thing, I've I've grown one out multiple times. I never keep it. Yeah, you know, like I always remember. Like, in fact, I just want to go shave now because I want to use those the products that I always talk about to go use my my shave kit from Bear Man that I have that I just like absolutely adore and love. But I'm pretty excited to see some of the other stuff. They have some cool seasonal uh, stuff coming out. Like they have a, a Halloween scent called Hollows, and it's a it's like a mix of cocoa, raisins, oak moss, and cedar, which all sounds great. You know, that sounds like a cool set. It sounds like this sounds something up like your alley. Like, yeah. I think this is no, something Cedar, you would like. Cedar sounds great. Yeah. Uh, they they have one of, uh, I love the way they describe this stuff. It's like so picturesque. It's, uh, they have one that is, it's a winter seasonal that is moonlight on snow, which is like, I hear that now. Like, I get like a little tingle. I don't even know like, that, it's so poetic. What would that smell like? Yeah, exactly. Light he, doesn't he have says smell it, tannin. Well, I mean, I'm sure they did a good job of capturing it, Ross. So, how can they capture something that doesn't exist? I don't know, but they're saying that was not quite ready. I don't know, but they're saying that was not quite ready yet, though I am super excited to see that. Apparently, they have a new version of the the hand soap coming out, the Cootie Killer. That's one of the ones that I say that I use a lot. And I'm super excited about this one because this wasn't a problem before, but, you know, anytime they advance this, they're saying that it's going to do better. uh, It's going to lather and clean your skin just normally like it always does, but it's going to be better about leaving your skin dry because you've heard we make that complaint about 
you know, with the amount of times that you're spending cleaning your hands and washing your hands, and you should be doing it more nowadays. It's like, it does dry you out yeah. quite a bit. So any products, I'm, I'm pretty big on any of the products that I have nowadays, making sure it moisturizes along with it. Just because you're doing stuff so much more, you're putting chemicals onto your skin and body so much more. I'm always hesitant to, to try to overdo anything. You know, I want to make sure that I don't have that problem. And they're addressing that problem in this, in this product. And I'm very happy with that. Awesome. Yes, I know you. Uh, I know you're looking forward to getting this this beard oil. I'm gonna probably like wait and see and like listen to you talk about it on the show. Like, I can't wait for the first show after you get the beard oil and hear about it, and then I'm gonna be like, "Yo, send me one." <laughs> so uh, I uh, I have traditionally not used like an oil or a balm or something, um, but I can't wait until you're just like, "I'm so stupid. Why was I not doing this?" Or whatever. Yeah. So I, I saw my brother's beard recently, and it looked phenomenal. And like he uses some sort of product. And you had so, some beard envy. Yeah, I had beard envy. Yeah, uh, it, it just looked it just looked so uh, lush and full, just and... so structured. Like every yeah. it looked like every hair was separate. It's like looking at a very well maintained lawn, you know, where you can see every individual blade. Of oh, grass. I know. That I have this son of a bitch neighbor who like has the best. <laughs> damn yard in the neighborhood and i'm always like a couple days behind like i need to cut my grass right now but we just had a hurricane so like i didn't do it you just live next to hank hill yeah and so it's really annoying because mine looks way worse by comparison now because i just have the best yard like you know he's got you know extra. does that mean you're beavis and butthead i'm just so annoying dude i mean annoying i'm just so annoyed man about it it's because like i feel like i have to do extra work just to like make my yard look presentable because of this guy and like, don't get me wrong, I, I take some pride in it. I take some pride in taking care of my, my, you know, I own this piece of earth. Like, I might as well take care of it and cultivate it and stuff. And the the main reason I do it, let's be honest, is to make sure my dog has a good yard to run around in. Let's be real. Yeah. Because why you do most well, things. My dog is very furry. As anybody who's ever seen a picture of her. And uh, she gets really dirty if the grass gets really long or, you know, there's weeds and stuff. She gets all that caught up in her fur. Especially if you let her out in the morning. She comes in and she's got all the dew all over oh, her. Yeah. By the way, did you see the picture that I posted of her when she was in the wagon? Oh, Have you yeah. ever seen anything so happy in your Just entire life? adorable. And sort of a, a content happy. Yeah. Oh, yeah. You know, because like, there's levels of happiness where you're running around screaming, and dogs do too, and they're zooming around. But she's just sitting there, smiling at the camera. like this. The is most content content has ever been. Yeah. And honestly, like, seeing that picture, it literally just, like... If I'm ever having a bad day, if I'm not in a good mood, I can look at that picture. It's probably my favorite picture of her now. I can look at that picture and just be like, in that moment, I was the perfect dog owner. You know, we were the perfect dog owner. We took care of our dog. She was happy. Like, she could not be happier. She was just having the time of her life. And it just makes me feel good and warm inside. That's your wholesome moment this week from from Pioneer. (laughs) And if you want to see that picture, it's available in our Discord in the Pets channel. Yeah, which we'll get to in just a minute about how you can read that and read that more. But we did have a question yeah, we have one uh, from our Discord back from frequent commenter or questioner Lee McLeod. Yeah, go ahead. And he says, oh, "I didn't actually have it up." Oh, I have it up. I got. Uh, this is it. I thought you I had know it. What the question is, but I, w- I want to read it in its entirety. Sure. It says, "Hello to the cast formerly known as Pioneer. Can we unban Mox Opal in Modern, please?" For those no. who don't know, Lee is a a big fan of wacky artifact decks. <laughs> so uh, he has what might be my favorite tweet of all time. Like, literally my favorite tweet of all time, especially when it comes to comedy, especially magic-related. And I'm going to paraphrase it right now. I probably should have had this ready to go. But um, have you ever seen Lee do, like, his tweet tournament report things? They're they're done in a certain, like, stylistic way that's just very funny. And I don't know. It just it, The humor just gets me perfectly. But he was writing about a reported, like, you know, he talks about his uh, 
interactions at events or whatever. You've actually been the subject of one of these. It, it might have actually been you, if I remember right. So he's like playing a team event or something, right? And his opponent is like, do you know what Lee is playing? And I think it's you. It's like one of your teammates. And you look at them, and he's like, he always plays some wacky artifact deck or whatever. Oh, I remember this. Yeah. And he's like, you know, I take a bridge to that. I, I, I played all these other decks, you know, blah, blah, blah. So anyway, I led on a Mojo Noddle or whatever the card is, you know, the, the Sur Surge Node. Yeah. Just, so anyway, I lead on Surge Node is the last sentence of the thing. It's just like, <laughs> so I just like obviously didn't tell the story great. Like you're giggling because you remember the moment of reading it. Yeah. And I remember reading this tweet and literal like here's the thing it's i'm not saying this is like a i'm not trying to you know make i followed him immediately after this tweet like i don't think i was following him in time but i hit the follow button and i hit it as hard as i've ever hit a follow button in my life because it was the funniest thing i had ever read in my life and i thought it was great and my answer to you lee is no god no please god not ever don't ever make mox opal legal i actually think mox opal is fine you're wrong what is you what's going to be? Are you do you think Urzadax are going to be everywhere if we have Mox Opal again? The thing is, is like e either you ban Mox Opal or you never print cards like Urza ever again. Like it restricts your design space of breaking that card. Is like here's the thing. I get it. I want uh, Affinity to be a playable deck. I want it to be a decent tier, tier two deck instead of tier seven or whatever it is. You know, for your tier list people at home. And Mox Opal makes it good. You know, it gives it the draws where it can compete. I am okay with that deck being a casualty of keeping things like KCI and Urza from being too good all the time. I'm just, I, well, when KCI that card is too is good, it's annoying. I, that's, yeah, I get it. But like, that was one of the problems of KCI is that also had Mox Opal. Yeah, I, I understand. It was the, uh, Mox Opal was the best card in the deck. Yeah, that's, and like, that's the problem. Like, let, let's, uh, let's stop, let's stop doing that. We, we keep seeing that these cards that generated a certain amount of mana for not a lot of, you know, price or resources is, is a problem in Magic. And I just don't want that card to be legal. How about that? Me personally, no. But uh, the the price of losing out on Affinity and the Surge Node deck and Lantern, uh, all of which I like, I think is a pretty high price. And I'm willing to awkwardly ban cards like Arkham's Astrolabe that broke Urza or even Wait Urza itself or ban KCI when they come up in order to keep those cool decks around. Because Wait Modern is about having cool decks around. Did so. you just say you liked Lantern? Yeah, I love Lantern as a deck. Okay, this, I this show is over. I absolutely love it. I this think show is over. Lantern this is, cast is over. Lantern is one of heinous. the most heinous. Just one. It's a genius deck. The fact that it worked is mind-boggling. Oh, like it and Amulet Titan are, are just like the decks. Like, how do people think of this? And the fact that they exist and are good is awesome to me because that's to me is what Magic is about. And then the Lantern deck is, is so unique in what it does. Um, and, you know, I actually think it's interesting to both play with and against. Um, it's just that the, it's just the end game is annoying. But you can concede at any time if you really hate it that much. Um, but it, it's Lantern is like the, the plucky underdog, right? It's, it's this deck that started as almost like a joke on like an internet forum. And somebody started working on it. And they eventually got it to a point where it like wasn't embarrassing. And then somebody even better, uh, what's his face? The guy who won the GP with it. I'm just gonna let you struggle with this. He one. uh he works for Watsy now, right? Yeah, I'm just gonna let you struggle with it. Um beat BBD in the finals of a of that GP. BBD was on twin. Um I think is was his first name Zach? Mm-hmm. Um 
But now I'm just now I just have Zach Allen in my head. Elsick. El Zach Elsick. There we go. Thank you. Piece of shit. So Zach Elsick like gets a hold of it and it's like, I think this can be good, or was just, you know, deluded into thinking it could be good and like turns it into, into something actually. That is really a Zach good. Elsick deck. And at one point it was like the best deck in the format, and it's playing like I don't think it played Ghoul Caller's Bell by then. That was that was a, an early iteration, but it's playing like Codex Shredder. Just awesome. It's like beating up on people playing Noble Hierarch and, you know, Faithless Looting. And you're just like, yeah, I do that with Codex Shredder. It's just amazing. I love it. My favorite thing in Magic is watching individually underpowered cards come together and be more than the sum of their parts. This is why I hate good stuff mid-range decks. I think Tarmogoyf might be one of my least favorite cards of all time. It's just right? ham-fisted. Tar- Tarmogoyf and Thoughtseize is like the exact opposite of what I want to be doing. And Ghoul Caller's Bell and Codex Shredder is exactly what I want to be doing. Just look at how bad these cards are. Like, I, you have no idea how much fun I had last night jamming on Arena with Whisper Squad. And just fucking squatting up. Just four one ones were attacking all day long. And my opponents Squat got all this up. removal in their hand. They're like, okay, kill that Skyclave shit. I'm like, yeah, bring it back. Okay, kill it again. Yeah, bring it back. Make another one of these. And they're just like, okay, you played a questing beast. Now my now I'll play my removal spell. It works a yeah. lot better than yours. Yeah. This is my, my all of my decks were just creature like removal spells and creatures that match up against removal spells. Love. Yeah, and you know, I, I can get that. I can get that and I can respect it, but come on. Lantern now, is awesome. It is just, like, it gives so many people hope that their janky brew can potentially be format-defining, you know, down the road. Yeah, of course. It's 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 the dream for every brewer, right? Yeah, it's, it gives, it's, it it should exist always. If you don't like Lantern, I don't like you. Well, we're we're no longer friends. <laughs> well, that was already true. Okay. Yeah, so here's the the biggest problem for me with it was just it was horrible for from a coverage perspective. But like whatever. Eh, if you knew how to play it, it, it happened relatively quickly. But um, yeah, it's, years, it's not very good for coverage. Years and years and years ago, when I was doing a lot of the Hearthstone thing, uh, I was living in Dallas with a bunch of Hearthstone players. You know, because we were doing you know that's where our studio was, where we were working and stuff. Blah blah blah. Anyway, um, we go to I think it was an open that happened to be in Dallas at the time. And we play, and there's a modern event, and uh, one of the players that was playing Hearthstone, his name is Orange. That's what he's known. He's very, you know, one of the all-time great Hearthstone players. Also plays a lot of Magic, right? Like he knew who I was from Magic before, you know, I became a Hearthstone thing, which was cool, right? To get recognized for the other game. Anyway, he was like, "Hey, I want to play in the modern thing. Um, this is the deck I want to play. Do you have these cards?" I'm like, "Yeah, sure." And so he ended up top eighting this this open. By the way, he's just very good Magic. You know, he's a very good player of cards. Anyway, um, after one of his rounds, he comes up and like I'm like, "Hey, did you win your round?" He goes, "Yeah." I was like, "Would you would you play against?" Because you know he hadn't played modern in a while. The format's you know relatively new to him, and he's like, "I don't know." I was like, "What do you mean you don't know? Like what, what happened?" And he goes, "Well, he's like they played all these artifacts that like don't really do anything, and they keep me from doing anything. Like they had this artifact that made my top card of my library be revealed, and they would like mill me and like surgical extraction me and all this stuff, and you know, like, blah blah blah, and like." He's like, I don't know. And I was like, how the hell did you win? That seems like an awful matchup for you or whatever. He's like, oh, I just had uh, I had Obsidat in my opening hand every game or whatever. He's like, you know, the Obsidat that flickers oh and deals God. two. So he's got Obsidat in play and he's like, yeah, I don't give a shit or whatever. Like, 
<laughs> so they never had the thought seeds to like stop him from obsidian adding them or whatever, which is great. But like he just had no idea what the deck was because it was when he played, it wasn't a thing. Yeah. You know, and it became this thing. And I was like, yeah, that's none like of the a... cards make any sense unless you know exactly what yeah. the deck is trying to do. Yeah. And, th- and, and like English wasn't his first language. And thankfully he reads English well. Otherwise he would have had to call a judge like 17 times during that match. <laughs> Like, I had a friend that used to play uh, used to play that deck, and it was all in a different language. And I'm like, "You're a monster! You're an actual monster!" Yeah, you should you shouldn't do that. No, you should not do that. But anyway, all right, we're running pretty late on the uh, the episode this week. Um, for everybody at home that's listening, yeah, we're still calling ourselves the Pioneer Podcast. We're still working on the name for the rebrand. I'm really leaning towards MTG Rants, and it seems to be the name that most people are identifying with. And I'll I'll say this: I kind of expected it, but a lot of the names that we're getting are. Uh, kind of like jokish which i'm believe me i love it like what's the one everybody really likes it's a uh, podcast make podcast face or something or whatever yeah, was the joke that's, you made? that's the, the joke i made on, on the previous episode that if we let if we, if we let them name it it'll be named podcast podcast face something it's just a, mickey podcast face so it's you know, something along those lines uh, i can't even think of the the damn thing it's it's so ridiculous but it's funny i've got a, it's like you you with uh obnath have blocked it from my mind yeah kind of thing but get it out of here but yeah, I'm really excited about uh, you know the rebrand and renaming, and we've had some people in uh, Discord. It's, the, the response has been overall positive. We had a couple people that are worried, and they're like, "Oh, you know, I don't want to lose my you know podcast." But we're not going anywhere. Like we're not drastically changing. We're just not going to focus a hundred percent on Pioneer anymore, and that's okay. We're still going to you know cover the format. We'll still talk about it all the time. You know, we just had a lot to talk about on this episode that wasn't Pioneer, obviously. Yeah. With you know, this gigantic announcement happening. You know, how often do you get significant bans in a standard format, you know? I mean, like, dude, it only happened once in, like, a decade at one point. Yeah. Whoops. (laughs) Whoops. So we'll be back next month to talk about, you know, the fact that a Heartless Act just got banned. Somebody was, uh, what was it? Uh, The MTG Goldfish was talking about that. They're like, I think I'm just going to leave my my title name up on my stream of post- post-ban standard <laughs> yeah. they just have to leave this up because it'll be it, it's like a broken clock but it'll be right more often than not you know it's, it's stuff like that so um really excited about what the future is going to bring we're gonna have some some really cool uh stuff for everybody in the future we're working on a few things um the things that we have been working on the, in the past we're going to be able to kind of curtail that over all of our links are going to be the same all the stuff's going to be the same um i kind of forgot to mention there is a code with uh barrister and man our 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 sponsor earlier that you can use it's uh, Pioneer Cast to get fifteen percent off of all your orders. I don't know if that's going to change or if we're going to need a new code. I'm assuming we'll just get a new code and both of them will still work for the people who are like an episode or two behind. Yeah, they can still get that stuff. But anyway, we'll have two Ross. If people wanted to, yeah, we'll have two codes. If people in dos codos, if people <laughs> wanted to, uh, if people wanted to hear more from you, uh, see more of your stuff, watch you play more Magic, hear more of your rants about MTG, where would you go? First place and the one-stop shop place is my Twitter account. I am at Ross Hunneds, R-O-S-S-H-U-N-N-E-D-S. Uh, good place to ask me questions or keep abreast of all of my content. Uh, next is my written content on Star City Games. This week's article is about cards that I think are going to be unlocked in this post-ban standard metagame. A lot of like mid-rangey cards that have been suppressed by the big mana strategies. I'm going to read that one. Yeah. So if you want to get, you know, a leg up on what cards you might want to brew around, something that you might have forgotten from a previous set, that'll be a good article for you. That is live now. Uh, then there is uh, my non-written content, which is Versus Live, the web show I co-host twice a week with Corey Baumeister. We're on the Star City Games Twitch channel, uh, same place you went for SCG Tour Online coverage. Uh, we're there during the week, 1 to 4 p.m. Eastern time. We take questions live from the audience. We play whatever formats we think are relevant. 
Uh, probably won't have time to get this out before tomorrow's uh, Versus Live, but Thursday's Versus Live is going to be uh, our uh, first attempt at brewing in this new, new standard environment. So kind of like previous season, to be honest. Uh, should be a fun time. And, uh, you know, whatever format's relevant we play, we have a good time. And then last but not least is my stream. Um, I did not stream last weekend because I was dog sitting. I will be streaming this weekend, though I have, I'm busy Saturday. So I'll be streaming Friday and Sunday, uh, is my, my current plan. Uh, I'm twitch.tv slash Ross underscore Miriam. Is there an underscore in my name, Tannen? I think there is. Yeah. Um, and I appreciate any and all support across all of those media. Tannen, same question. Where do they find you? What is your address and home phone number? And my mother's maiden name, the name of my first pet. Yes, and social security number and the the three digits on the back of your credit card. <laughs> you only do the last four digits of my social, right, usually. But yeah. anyway, my one-stop shop is my Twitter as well. It's just, uh, that's at the Tannen Grace. Uh, there's a D in front of this. But if you type in Tannen Grace, I'm pretty sure I'm the only one. So uh, that's the joke. So find me on there. Um, you can find me on Twitch under just Tannen Grace. Um, we'll see how much active that is going forward. If the standard's good, I'll definitely be streaming some i'm a little bored of the limited format right now but we'll see um i will be you know streaming a little bit of limited as the year goes on so if you like that at all make sure you follow me on there and then me and ross have some stuff in the works we might be doing eventually we're both lazy so we'll see if that happens um as for the cast itself it has a twitter it's asked it's at cast pioneer make sure you give us a, a follow there that might be changing in the future but that's what it is right now um, on that Twitter, there is a link to our Discord. We've mentioned it multiple times in here. Our Discord is popping. You should check it out. A lot of cool stuff going on there. A lot of cool talks. Lots of magic talks. Lots of non-magic talks. Uh, we talked about the food section. There's a cool video game section a lot of people are talking about because a lot of us are at home a lot more right now. So we've been talking about what we've been doing to stay sane. The pet section is a personal favorite of mine. Lots of cool pictures getting put in there that help brighten up your day. You know, I'm a big fan of that. And you may have heard us answer a question live on air and talk about the person who was in the question. That is one of our patrons of the show. We do have a Patreon. It's at patreon.com slash pioneercast. Uh, that's what all of this is right now. It could change in the future, but that's what it is. Um, we appreciate each and every one of the people who gives us monetary support. Um, if you're not giving us monetary support, that's also okay. We appreciate you just listening to the show. But if you feel like you can send a few bucks our way, we really appreciate that because... We do do cool stuff for other people. We have tokens that we're going to be giving out eventually when we get the name changed on them. We pay Brent to do the lovely uh, audio of this to make us sound so much better than we deserve or actually sound. So especially Ross, he needs a lot of help. So please yeah, don't, don't grimace with me over here. You need help, buddy. Please. I don't know if it's about maybe not about the sound stuff, but you need help. So uh, <laughs> you're doing a podcast with me. That's that's a cry for help. If I've ever heard one. <laughs> the fact that I've been doing it for almost a year. Yeah, speaking of that, we got the year episode coming up soon. We need to figure out what we're going to do. It, I, it's I honestly think it, it'll, it'll be next week. We'll be a year. Oh, God. We should probably figure that out. We should maybe do a video of it and have you get a... We should get a cake and some stuff, maybe. Celebrate a little bit. Uh, I'll order half a cake and you order half a cake and we'll, yeah, we'll each decorate our own half. And I'm going to pay someone to knock on your door and you're going to open it and they're going to hit you in the face of the cake. It's going to be great. <laughs> as long as it's delicious. <laughs> yeah, as long as I can eat some of it. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> That kind of stuff. So we'll, we'll maybe we'll do something cool and fun. I uh, I can maybe do a giveaway. I have some stuff I need to give away. I've been really bad about that. So we can we can work on some stuff, do some fun, some fun shit with that in the in the show coming up. But uh, thanks for listening this week to everybody, and uh, make sure you check us out next week when we're probably named something else. <laughs> but we'll see. <laughs> but anyway, thanks for listening, and we'll see y'all next time.
You ready? Yeah. All right, give me like two seconds. God, I'm fucking tired. Oh, <laughs> Brit saves that uh, that sound bite of me just being like, God, I'm fucking tired. <laughs> like, 